Much like a cat covering up a turd in its litter box. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, it's a show full of apropos analogies to anal expulsions. And joining me, Hawaiian Brian, the podcasting lion, the king of the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network, Mr. Co-host to you. If I'm number one, then he has to be number two. The great Brian Last, everybody. Aloha, Jim. A pleasure to be here once again. Number two to number one here on the number one. And of course, number two would be the drive-through, but we've got both. We're filled of one and two. Yeah, we're filled of one and two. One, one of us is number one, and one of us is number two, and sometimes it rotates back and forth. Oh my God! You know, I have come to the conclusion, young Brian, before we start today's program, that again, the WWE and AEW have different strategies. Here in the, in the the year 2023, the WWE is trying to bore us to death for an hour and 50 minutes out of a two-hour program. So in the 10 minutes where something actually does happen, we're, we've missed it because it went away. We're so starved for the sight of some real action that we just overly fucking commit ourselves to it. And on the other hand, AEW is is firmly convinced that the idea is to just do as much shit as humanly fucking possible with as many people as possible in random fucking order with the thought that people are going to stay tuned to see somebody either get paralyzed or fucking sawed in half with a chainsaw. And, And there can be no middle ground. No middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition. And it's definitely lying in the pit of my stomach. One show I can take a bunch of notes on, on everything not to fucking do. The other show, I'm falling asleep with the pen in my hand trying to fucking find something to write. They're not really doing anything wrong, but they're not doing that much right. You know what this means. What does this mean? We need another billionaire. (laughs) We don't need another billion. We just need the motherfuckers that have the billions already to do the shit right. (laughs) That's exactly right. We thought AEW was going to be the alternative to WWE, and for a while it was alternative WWE, and now they've kind of established Tony Khan's brand of wrestling. We need... And I've said this for a while, we need a third company that could actually just be the sane one and go down the lane of doing everything logical and let's see what happens with a budget, with a billionaire, with a, with a, with a budget, with a billion dollar budget. I'm talking to you, Bill Gates. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, what about Mark Cuban? He likes the wrestling. He's busy. He's, he's actually a hands-on guy with a lot of his stuff. So he's busy. Well, for a billion dollars, and then he's going to want to get hands hands on on with wrestling. Then he's going to want to get hands on with wrestling. Hey, I got an idea. Hey, you know what? I met a guy downstairs 
and this guy's filled with great ideas. Just sit down and talk with him. No, he's not going to be involved with our company. <laughs> All right, then. Uh, you know, even Spectrum, even our fine friends at Spectrum Cable are trying to help me with my wrestling predicament of having to watch all these programs. You know what they did to me this week? No. It's a goddamn, it's a, it's a concerted effort now. And, and remember, we've had the evidence. The evidence, baby, has been right in front of our noses all along. Remember, I saw the Spectrum truck, and suddenly I had speeds of 400 and something bigs. And then that guy was up in that tree for two weeks with that telescope. And then the truck comes back. And I see the ladder and the bucket going up. And then the guy's gone out of the tree. And my speed's back to 100 and something MIGs. They took all the MIGs with them. That was bizarre because it happened. Remember, when you spotted him the second time up there. Yes, I could see it was during the, the show. Yeah. I could see the reflection in my computer screen out my window of this fucking orange bucket. And it was as big as a bucket. It was so, nevertheless, it was an old poem from Ricky Morton. But the thing is, then, just a few days ago, as we're sitting here right here right now speaking to you, the cult of Cornet to people out there, as we're speaking to you, I go into, we got two DVRs in the house that I record all the various programs on because sometimes I may want to be in the TV room. Sometimes I may want to be in a little bit more comfort and be on the, the beautiful Helix sleep mattress in the, in the bedroom and lay down to take the strain off of me to watch some of this stuff, whatever the case. And I, and there's so many things, multiple channels. I got it all fucking programmed up. I go in the bedroom. Turn TV on. I don't know what your cable screen or whatever is laid out like, Brian. But when you hit the the dealio, the the uh, the guide thing, it pops up on the left hand side. There's the list of functions. You've got your program guide, and you've got the on demand service, and you've got the DVR, and you've got special functions and whatever this list is on the left-hand side, right? And you just click on whichever thing you want to go to. Have I made that clear? I don't know if I would call that clear, but I understand. All right. Well, as clear as it's going to get. I look, the goddamn, the DVR function is not there. It's not on the screen. You can't click on it. I'm like, how do I get to my DVR to watch my programs? And I'm fucking, I'm looking at this remote and there's no actual button that says DVR because it's on the screen and you can just select it. And I've got dozens of programs on this thing. And then I said, well, wait a minute. And I try to, you know, with the, with the DVR, you can pause the programming or you can rewind it or you can record what well, <laughs> I, I press pause. The little light lights up on the, on the cable box down there, but nothing happens or reverse or fast forward or hit record. No, when I go to the cable guide and I click on a program and, and where it normally says, you want to watch this, you want a reminder, you want to record, I don't have the option to record it. It's like they have slipped in from the insides of my walls and disabled every part of the DVR feature that was there the day before in the same fucking box that is now mysteriously vanished without a trace. 
but down in the TV room, the DVR function is still on the screen. Everything works as normal. All the programs are there with the same kind of goddamn box and the same kind of goddamn remote. Riddle me that, Batman. They're digging in. They're making this personal now. They've heard the comments I've made about them. They've heard all those public service announcements where I've said, do not, under any circumstances, deal with these shysters, these flimflammers, these con men, these snake oil salesmen. They will take twice the money for half the service. And now they're digging in and getting personal. I'm going to take an axe when we get finished with this program. I'm going to take an axe to the interior of every single one of my walls until I find that son of a bitch. <laughs> and I'm going to pull my goddamn DVR back from his grip and plug it back into wherever the fuck it plugs into this thing. It just it completely vanished. The funny part is, as soon as you said I would pick up an axe, I... I didn't react because I was like, yeah, you know, that's about what I expect him to do. I thought you were going to say you're going to chop the TV or the box, but no, it was the walls. I didn't think. No, go I'm going to find that. So he's got my DVR stuff in there somewhere. He just pulled it out of the box. How does that happen to just disappear off the same goddamn button from one day to the next? Did it update? Did the box update? I don't know what it, I did. I wasn't watching it the whole goddamn day. I was going about my business. It was sitting in the same place when I got back. I don't know whether it went out on a date or not. The remote. You yeah. Said, you said it was a different remote. It's the same remote, right? No, it's the same remote. Okay, because you tried to say that it, the one downstairs like, had the same remote, like there was some kind of... No, it's the same exact brand. It's the same exact thing in both places, and one continues to function as it did the previous day and one has totally quit doing all the things related to the dvr and it's not even a, a available function that you can select on their screen of death maybe there's a wrestling fan that controls it <sighs> they're, trying, they're trying to shut you down well no maybe they're trying to help me so i won't have to watch these fucking programs <laughs> <clears throat> so the answer to a question you asked off the air about, oh, we, we've not yet watched the China biography. We might not be able to. I don't know. I've got to dig into that further and see where else it might be available because I think it was on that one. Uh, but if, I want to jump back to last week for a second because I'm still afraid. I've felt bad all week. Meow. That Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. That I'm... <laughs> that I may have offended or injured the feelings of the very least Reggie's parents, much less any cat lovers out there. And again, it was because we had, I can't even remember now because that overshadowed everything, but we were in some depressing topic or some downer type of buzz killing moment that you probably precipitated there, fella. We were talking about Coach Crumb. You precipitated it. Well, no. Well, I was talking about how he couldn't be at his 86th birthday party because he's bedridden as beloved figure. And I said, well, let's go to the emails to, to cheer us up or to get something more uplifting or in a, a more entertaining fashion. And I did said at the top of the program, but I didn't have a chance because it was hectic around here that way. Hectic. And I, I didn't have a chance to organize as I usually do. We don't script this program, obviously. 
but I do usually have an order of events. Well, I'll read these first and that second or whatever. And I just had the stack and I immediately went to the cat with lymphoma. And it just struck me wrong. Reggie. His name is Reggie. And then, yes. Poor Reggie. And then it, and uh, anyway, so what I did last week, I apologize, but now I am prepared for it because we are animal lovers here on the program and we do encourage the cult members to have their beloved pets recognized. So I'm going to do this in a respectful tone, I'll have you know. And no goddamn meowing or purring. You're setting it up like you run through the towns for West Shore Home. I want to see how you're going to do this. No, just I don't want you. And this is about a, a puppy anyway. And this is for both of us, dear Jim and Brian. My name is Dan. And I live in a small town near Boston, Massachusetts. My 14 year old dog, Daisy, has been with my family since I was four years old. And sadly, the friend who I saw grow up beside me has grown old and is soon to be put down. And I wanted to thank you for the laughs and entertainment you've provided me during these hard times as I deal with the upcoming loss of my beloved dog, as well as working nights after school to finish out my senior year of high school. So we're getting them young too there, Brian. As I try to pay for college next year and industrious and educated, that's our audience. I often listen to the podcast during school and work, so some days you guys will get me through a full 10 to 12 hours of bullshit. Well, thank you, Dan, and we're sorry to hear about Daisy. Yeah, that and sucks. That breaks my heart when you hear stuff does. like that. As a dog owner, it's like you know, but you hate to hear about it because we all love our pets, and uh, that stinks. Well, and... and It's not funny like Reggie. It, no, it, it, I'll quit. And also, I don't know, me and Harley, we, I, she has better medical care than I do. I'm, I'm trying to keep her around as long as I'm around. So if, if hopefully we'll split the difference and go at the same time in about 20 years. He said 14 years. That's, that's a pretty good run. That's, that's a pretty, the first dog I had, which was actually my father's dog, Jock, was a Cocker Spaniel. And he lived to be 16 and a half. And finally, we had to have him put to sleep, or I didn't. I was, you know, six or whatever at the time. But that dog survived getting backed over by a car, got a pin put in his hip, uh, fell in the neighbor's fish pond in the wintertime, froze stiff. They had to thaw him out in front of the fireplace, uh, got attacked by, I've told that story before, uh, the, the neighbor's dog that killed my beagle a few years earlier had attacked Jock. And he made it through that. That's the one that my mother ran out of the neighborhood at gunpoint. And he also had had tetanus and lockjaw and finally was blind and couldn't hear. But what a tough fucking dog. He was like the Mick Foley of dogs. Anyway. Always creeping um, up on the divas? Say again? Nothing. Nothing. I, I didn't. I did not hear you legitimately. I'm sorry if I stepped on a line that might have been funny accidentally by you. Always creeping up on the divas. Oh come on now, for <laughs> heaven's sake! That is not terrible. Um, and here's this is actually a letter, and I wanted to read this because it's a fucking letter that this young lady named Amy from down in South Carolina wrote and sent to the post office box that I have here. Care for in 
addressed to both of us, Brian, to both of us, because we both do that. And it's to the Cornette drive-thru, so it's even your show. Hello, Amy. But uh, she, not, she not only wrote an actual letter, it's actually written by hand. So I wanted to recognize this, and it's very nice. Um, dear Jim and Brian, thank you so much for the podcast and the much-needed comic relief. You two have really helped me to smile more this past month. Recently, the most beloved person in my life, my granny, passed away. She went through a rapid decline, and I've never been so heartbroken and lost in my whole life. She was the only person in my family I had, or I'm sorry, the only person in my family I had an amazing and loving relationship with, so that makes it especially devastating. And she actually, Amy sent a picture of her and her granny, and also her and her puppy dog. Your podcast has helped me a lot. You guys helped me to smile and take my mind off of my loss with the humor and commentary. I do hate to hear about Brian's father. However, it makes me feel like someone else genuinely understands the grief that I'm experiencing too. So thank you guys for sharing that. And Amy, thank you for sharing that and the picture of you and your Grammy and this letter. And it, it meant a lot. You actually wrote it and put a stamp on it and mailed it which almost nobody does anymore. That's very nice. Um, but anyway, I wanted to recognize, before we just, this show completely degenerates into chaos. Should I get a handkerchief? What's the next story? And no, no, I'm saying I wanted to get those two out of the way before you start fucking with me and I would break up or laugh or do something inappropriate because now I want to go back now to the next email is something that we were talking about here not long ago, remember uh, John Fell? I remember John got, Fell from Baltimore, got, right? Yes, and he got back up and then he wrote the email saying that he reminded us that Sugar Sugar by the Archies is the song that, that replaced Honky Tonk Women by the Rolling Stones as the number one song when it hit number one in 1969. So the Archies bumped the Rolling Stones out of the number one spot. And which I remember, by the way, I wasn't actually a Rolling Stones fan because I was fucking eight. Uh, I, but I have all the Archie's albums and watched the cartoon show and goddamn, you know, that was just the, the greatest music in the whole world. But then we were talking about the Archie's that I couldn't remember Reggie's name. Reggie's last name. See, it always goes back to Reggie. Well, no. It's unbelievable with this guy. But then, no, stop it. Would you quit? That was completely an unrelated issue or topic that just happened to have the same name in the goddamn both of them. And I wasn't even, but anyway, it was Reggie Mantle, according to Lucas from wherever the fuck. He doesn't say where he's from, but Lucas wrote in. Reggie Mantle was the egotistical rival to Archie Andrews, and no, not the cat. So it was Archie Andrews, Veronica Lodge, Betty Cooper, and Reggie Mantle. And of course, Jughead Jones. And, and Brian Last, what was Jughead's given Christian first name? Jughead J Jerome. No. I don't know. Forsyth. That was my next guess. Forsyth P. Jones. And that it's one of those times where Jughead's the better name. Well, in, in actuality, you know, it's kind of like, you know, some of the guys that have changed the crusher was probably a, a better wrestling name than Reggie Lasowski. But could a wrestler pull off Jughead? Could a serious heel be Jughead? No. Jughead What's something, you, Jughead uh, Andrews. 
Well, now you now you're just ripping off a goddamn Archie's. Jughead Andrews. What the? No, you can't have a a heel named Jughead, a heel stooge, maybe the big. Maybe if if when Plowboy Frazier was fucking Lawler's bodyguard, he could have called him Jughead and got away with it. But I don't know. But though so you can't have a heel named Jughead. Did you like the Bazooka Joe comics that came with the gum? No, because I wasn't a gum fan. I was I never liked gum that much when I was a kid. Oh, and my mom I just hated joy. I hated joy and Well no, and fun. no, stop it. Well, what's fun about chewing a because here's the thing. First of all, my mother's gum of choice was dentine because she thought you ought to get something out of it, right? The fresh breath or the <laughs> fucking it's dentine because the word dent is in it. And so is dentistry. Somehow it was good for your teeth. I don't know. And I wasn't a dentine fan. And, and, and if you chew a goddamn piece of Wrigley's fucking juicy fruit or whatever. Well, for about the first 27 seconds, you got some flavor there. And then you're chewing a goddamn piece of fucking rubber in your mouth. But I'm talking about bubblegum. Bazooka, they had their comics, and then Double Bubble had their ripoff Bazooka comics. <sighs> Should I admit something? Bubblicious. Yes, admit Again, something. I've never blown a bubble with bubblegum. And I don't know that I know how to blow a bubble. I can't blow up balloons or <laughs> or b bubbles of the. I don't know how it works. I don't. It all. It doesn't work. I've always had to have my balloons professionally inflated because I'll sit there and go. Pff, 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 I don't know what the fuck. Well, the whole box. These are two separate and, things and blowing, altogether. And and blowing a goddamn. I don't understand how you would do that to blow a bubble <laughs> out of gum and what motion you would make or how you would person form your lips to that that's almost understandable because you don't like gum you already said it you're not a gum fan so you don't yeah. really have any practice or expertise yeah you can't blow up a balloon <laughs> what is that about never been able to, oh god i almost had a fucking stroke <laughs> at the alamo plaza hotel in shreveport the night before that goddamn party celebration for the midnight express where they smashed my face in a cake and we did the angle with watts I was trying to blow up those goddamn balloons and I almost had a stroke and was needed an oxygen tank trying to, I got like two or three balloons. So I had to get up early the next morning and go over to a, I can't remember what fucking store it was, grocery store and go in and have them blow me up some fucking balloons. This is, I've never, I mean, this is astounding to, I don't even know what to say or what to ask. Well, we weren't even supposed to be talking about balloons. Did this start as just like a way for you to get out of blowing up balloons and then it just became like a thing where you just no, couldn't do it? No, I can't get I can't make it. I see other people just go and these things just get big and I'm like I don't know what the technique is. I'm sorry. So I have professional balloons the done. Technique. The technique. I was going back to Well, there's a there's a fucking art to it apparently. Oh, apparently. A technique of some description. How okay. do you? Do are you it? talking about any balloon or like a balloon animal, long, thin one? What are you talk, well, just like talking? Just like any balloon, like any a loose balloon. Balloon, yes, any balloon. I, you know, I, I don't know how they make the fucking balloon animals, but I assume most people can't do that, where they twist them into a goddamn replica of a pelican and a goddamn ocelot. I don't understand that whole business either. Well, those and are I, harder to blow up sometimes than the regular. Uh, oval balloon. I don't know what to call it. 
The normal no, shape balloon. The same thing. It, I can I can get it I, I can get it looking like a fucking kind of a soggy orange or whatever, maybe even up to a fucking mid-level fucking mushy grapefruit, and then they just don't go too much further. This is such a fascinating thing. All right, well, I'm glad you're fascinated, but where I was going, see, I was going to tie the discussion I was having about the Archies. This video will be Jim Cornette on gum and balloons. Well, that's you've now you've doomed it to only get 40 or 50,000 views. <laughs> but what I was going to make an analogy, a, a, draw a simile, a comparison, if you will, the Archies and the Monkeys. Is that what we've got with wrestling these days, or we're about to have with wrestling these days, especially with the WWE, if, if what we're going to talk about about them later on comes to pass? Don Kirster just said, you know what? These fucking rock stars, they're too goddamn hard to deal with. I'm just going to make my own band. And then when he made his own band, but they got hard to deal with, he said, fuck it. I'm just going to make them all cartoon characters. And then I can draw them into doing whatever I want. to. And he got a number one fucking record out of a fucking cartoon band. Is that what... Uh, the end goal of the WWE is, especially now, just get some fucking people to voice these characters. If they can, if they're, if we're going to talk about the betting later on. If they can do that and they can figure out a way to computer generate these son of a bitches, then, it, then wrestling is going to be the equivalent of the Archies in 1969. The real human beings were too hard to deal with and we couldn't minimize their involvement enough so now we have just taken them out of it and we're going to create our own fucking wrestlers you know with don kirshner he came out of the bro building he was there before the beatles he was there after the beatles this is that period of time the end of the beatles after the beatles so again here's a guy whose business as a publisher was getting his songs published the singer songwriter the bands writing their own songs were a problem. Yeah. Some of them still covered stuff, but it was something that was decreasing. And when you have a manufactured band, you're guaranteed that they'll play your songs. And then when they rebel against you, you just have them drawn. I mean, that's what it is. <laughs> or redrawn, as the case may be. And and that's... I think that's what they're going for, at least in the WWE now, because, I mean, have you ever seen a time where there was, there in, in the WWE in history, from the territory days, 60s, 70s, Vince taking over in the 80s, Attitude Era, the 90s, even 2000s, where there were only a couple of legitimate main event guys and everybody else was on the same par with each other and just kind of, fucking taking turns wrestling each other every week. So I is. think, you know, and, and, and the stars that they have made are aging rapidly. So do we, you know, do we expect sugar, sugar in, in the next eight years of um, the new champion? Here he is. We've just created him. He's your computer generated hero. You know, that's oh, the thing too. God. Like, you know, again, taking your thoughts or feelings about him, as a person or a performer out of it, with Kenny Omega, former AEW champion. Let's say WWE does sign him. 
He's not a kid. This isn't someone you could look at like, yeah, this is a great future investment. This is an investment in right now, hopefully for a little bit. He just took nine months off having multiple surgeries to correct previous injuries, and he's almost 40. So at this point, and I'm not even saying this to knock him, but the WWE, A, if he was not in a prominent position on the other guy's program, wouldn't offer him a contract because of they've turned down people younger and in better shape because of age and injuries, previous injuries. But they will offer him a contract because he's on the other program so they can do some damage to them. At this point, in the days where Vince had to personally approve the amount of money that each wrestler got, and and those days are not that long ago, uh, no, there's no way that they would have, you know, offered him big money at this stage in his life. But now that the that the money doesn't really matter because it's not big money anymore in their overall multi-billion-dollar scheme of things, they'll offer him uh, probably offer him a significant amount of money for three years to take him away from the other guys and to ensure that by the time he would ever go back to the other guys, if they're still around at that point, he'd be almost in his mid-40s and certainly in not better physical condition than he is now after taking three more years of any kind of bumps. So that's it. When they used to have to watch out for what they spent in terms of talent payments, talent salaries, they might not have been so gung-ho to to get him because it wouldn't have been worth it in the long run. It would have upset other people in the locker room. But now that it's not a it's a negligible negligible amount of money to him, uh, you know, then there's that. Well, yeah, we'll just take him out of that equation and see how they do. They don't even have to use him. They don't have to justify the salary. We used to have to. I've heard the phrase from Vince and or Jim Ross uh, directed at anybody on the creative team. Justify the salary. They don't have to anymore. They can just leave them sit home, send them a check, and they don't even notice. And with Omega, like I said, this to your point, is it's about developing stars and they are thin at the top and everyone's getting older. That's a case of if you sign someone who is a star to a portion of the audience, they're old, so you really can't make it a long-term investment. More than likely, other than MJF, who knows if he'll ever leave AEW? And I hate to play that game because that game's going to be going on over and over again for a while. So other than him, is there anyone under 30 that would actually be an impactful signing from WWE or by WWE? When Chris Jericho signed there, I don't even think he was 30 yet. You know, so he had a good run in WCW. I loved his run in WCW. And then he had a long run in WWE and came back several times. He was young enough that he was able to do that. Is there anyone they actually could sign under 30 that they wouldn't just throw in NXT and treat like crap for a few years? They could actually come up there. Oh, okay. Now you put a qualifier in that drastically even reduces that number. Yeah, I maybe I shouldn't have. About. Yeah. Well, that's my question. Well, there's, there's, there's almost nobody anywhere that they could just sign and bring to, straight to the main roster without NXT, except, well, and right now, again, you don't want to play the game with MJF, but 
they couldn't sign him right now because he's the champion. He's under contract. Whether in, in next year, 2024, whatever, he's still under 30. And they could still, you know, he would. I certainly to God would hope that they wouldn't send him to NXT because you've got the chance there to, you know, have a guy that's the been the world champion from the other company, the only other company, practically. No, there's no way. They would bring him up and he'd be an impact player on the main roster. You couldn't. Well, I mean, you know, stupid things happen all the time. But yeah, you you would have to think that crossover because they're getting a guy that's so that really doesn't need to be taught anything. They need to learn some things from him. But otherwise than that, I was going to say, how old is Hobbs? But he needs to go to NXT. Anybody under 30 in AEW, with the exception of MJF, would need, would it would be a disservice not to send them to NXT because they've gotten sir, varying degrees of training and whatever indies they've come from. And maybe they've had some good influences, but the they would certainly have to learn how a professional organization is booked and and the TV is presented, if nothing else. Um, Hobbs is thirty two. Yeah. Well, but it, it matters not. He. I mean, we could sit here and go through the list, but I can't think of anybody off the top of my head that from AEW under thirty that shouldn't go to NXT. Huh. Anyway, so that, um, but you know, I'm going to, I was going to read this, but fuck it. Now that you've made mockery of me for other things, I'm going to save this for Whoa. next week. Well, what's that? Hold on. What is that? No, no, no. Cause I've had a bad week. I've had a tough week, a rough week, a hard week for heaven's sake. I got the cameos done. Yeah. I haven't even told you about all of this. Um, Obviously, Hotchkiss put the the cameos on sale uh, last Saturday, and it was another success, and thank you guys very much, and I'm sorry for anybody that missed out. I said we're going to be doing it in a few months. I'll get to the spring news in a minute. Uh, we'll do them again in a few months when things slow down, but we, we split it up over two days, and the second day, I'm thinking, oh, well, this will be easy. We got the first half knocked out. And this was on Thursday. Okay, I'm looking out the window to see when Hotchkiss is pulling up, and here comes a 30-foot fucking tanker truck from my the people that do my fertilization of my trees. And it just happens that that's the day that it's fallen on. I'm like, oh, God. Well, he pulls up in the driveway, and he's backed up sideways. He's got this tube and this hose and is running this motor, and he's doing the fertilization. And then I think Hotchkiss is coming up, and here comes my contractor, because that was the one day we've got some polishes on some of the woodwork, and uh, they were installing a few other things, and then we're almost done. We have a cabinet and countertop to be assembled, etc., but main part of those rooms is done. Here comes four contractors and their associates in three different vehicles, and they're parked by the side of the goddamn driveway. And then Hotchkiss gets here, and I'm trying to shoot it, but now I'm looking at the traffic out in my driveway, and then here comes Brian, my new yard crew, the the fine folks that replaced Landon the idiot, 
four guys, two trucks, and a giant trailer that's so wide it almost doesn't fit through my front gate. And I had all these people trying to do circles in my backyard and or back out and or back around while I was finishing the cameos. But we got it done by Cracky, except for one. And I told you about this, and you got a snicker out of There was one cameo request, and it's the only one I've ever refunded. I just, I can't fill this. The guy wanted me, well, the instruction was, Jim, please be the announcer and call the match between me and a wrestler you make up. Call it from music and entrance to introductions to finish. <laughs> how? And how? And there's no way. I mean, on so many levels, for video especially, that this would be awkward. Besides the fact that you can't actually send through the cameo process, maybe in future iterations of this, you can't actually send a picture of who you are so I know what you look like or how, or whether you'd be using a bear hug or a drop kick. And also wrestler. I make up. Does that mean a, <laughs> that's the best part? Does right that there. mean an existing wrestler that I nope. just pick or one that I make up from scratch? Like, you know, crotchy McGrabbington. <laughs> and then the introductions. Well, where are you from? And how much do you weigh? And what the fuck? And then, how would the how would the camera be focused here? Because like, what am if, if I'm the announcer? Am I looking at the camera or am I looking at a monitor that has nothing <laughs> on it? <laughs> calling oh. something that I'm imagining seeing, <laughs> and and then and you brought up should I do the the old time radio announcer bit the Gary Owens bit and cup my ear. <laughs> Well, here we are, ladies and gentlemen, now, and I mean, and I said, I just like, I said, I, and he paid a, you know, a good sum of money for this. And I was like, I can't take your money because I think this will be dreck. So I, and he graciously, you know, replied, no, no hard feelings. I understand. And we'll try it again next time, but. I'll give you something easy instead. Just cut a promo on me. Well, that <laughs> that was another several of them is I would get the instruction that, uh, oh, my husband loves you and he listens to your shows all the time. Cut a vicious promo on him for, for, for two minutes over that. What? I, you know, is there anything wrong with him? Does his fucking taint <laughs> smell? Give me something to work with. Right. But uh, but that but many that would be that would it. be a bit awkward. Hi, it's Jim Cornette. By the way, your wife tells me. Oh, I've done that. A few your of those. taint smells. Yeah, I've done a few of those. <laughs> Telling family members they need to lose weight or wash their ass or whatever. I've done a few of those. But anyway, uh, so thank you again to everybody who participated in the uh, the big cameo uh, uh, extravaganza. But now we're moving on to the spring. You know, it's almost spring, Brian. And I said there was big things going on in the spring, and I hear that. That is the documentation of the big things that are going on in the spring. The Spring Spectacular Sale at JimCornette.com at Cornette's Collectibles. Everybody has been browbeating me 
because I have not released new merchandise. The last thing was the two new figures. I said, Jim, get with the fucking program. A lot of the collectors out there have everything. Well, for the Spring Spectacular sale, we are outdoing ourselves three brand new, never before offered items at jimcornett.com across a wide spectrum of genres, Brian Last. Would you like to hear about this? I would love to hear about this. Well, I'm glad you said that, because I'll tell you, I would like to hear it. Here it goes. A wide spectrum of genres. A, a cornucopia and a plethora of, uh, of genres of collectibles. First of all, we mentioned this a couple months ago, and I jumped into action on behalf of the Cult of Cornette when they requested it, but I tell you, our friend Kenny McIntosh and his folks over at Inside the Ropes in the United Kingdom the live tours, the magazine, well, the Inside the Ropes magazine, the December 2022 issue, which featured moi on the cover of the piece, and a lot of people saw it on Twitter, uh, as well as a big six-page interview inside, was the best-selling issue in the history of the magazine by a, a decent percentage, from what I'm told. You're irrelevant. I'm Well, you know what? See, that's the problem. That's the problem. If I was more irrelevant, I would already be retired because I'd be selling even more magazines. Irrelevancy is the key to success. But anyway, um, since this issue of this fine magazine sold out quickly on across the stands, across the pond, and it was only available by mail order for the folks in the United States and not available autographed by me. We have chosen to fix all that up. And by special arrangement with the Inside the Ropes folks, I am the exclusive U.S. distributor of the December 2022 issue of Inside the Ropes. Now all the American fans who were experiencing what our friends across the pond have to, have to put up with when they have to order things from here they ever said, oh, I don't want to pay the, the shipping from England, or gosh, it takes so long. Well, now it will be available personally autographed right here, limited to 1,000 copies. They made a special run for me and sent them over, so they are uncirculated. But um, there'll be 1,000 copies. They can be personally autographed. And all these things I'm going to talk about are going to go on sale on Saturday, April the 8th at jimcornett.com. So, again... Whole 48-page full-color magazine, personally autographed. A thousand copies will go on sale on April the 8th at noon. And as well, Brian, you will recall that Kenny and Inside the Ropes are the ones that brought me over to England back in 2016 to do a, uh, a live sit-down uh, show in London. We call it a sit-down show because both of us were old and didn't want to stand up. Uh, me and Jim Ross on the rise of the Attitude Era. That was my last London appearance back in 2016. And the DVD of that incredible night, a little over two hours of Jim Ross and myself on stage with young Kenny. Sometimes he kept us to the format. Oftentimes we branched off. Uh, but the entire conversation there, as well as the surprise run-in by Bret Hart, and for the last, I think, 20 or 25 minutes of the program, 
and he jumped in on the conversation. This DVD has never been on sale before, and it will be on sale now at jimcornette.com Saturday, April 8th at noon Eastern with an autographed cover by myself, Jim, Jim Cornette, in case you're wondering. Jim Jim? Jim Jim Cornette and Jim Jim. <laughs> autographed by me, by Cracky. <laughs> Oh, shut up. I'm old. Anyway, and finally, wait a minute. Hold on here. Where's my daggum drum? Up, oh, that was the wrong drum. What the hell was that? Here. Here's my drum. But the piece de resistance, the third item on sale Saturday, April 8th at jimcornette.com, and that's noon Eastern. My latest action figure, Brian Last, and I'll have you know that while all this time in my life I've been a heel, I'm deciding I'm switching babyface on this one. This is my first babyface figure because it's going to be for a good cause. You know, I've worn every kind of color in the world, right? So when we think about the designs, well, we had my raw debut and we had my the bloody variant where i was wearing the white jacket you know when paulie cracked me with the phone and had the original one which was my red and yellow oscar meyer hot dog outfit that was so popular blah 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 when we're doing these designs we're thinking of ideas because i've worn everything and this idea actually germinated with Stacy because she says was because you know the lead time on these things and and how long we have to plan ahead because they got to be handmade and come over on a boat and blah blah blah. And she had seen me in an old another pink jacket, a darker pink than the raw debut at a picture, and at the same time she had this was almost three years ago now. She had the pink and black breast cancer license plate on her car she had then. And she was thinking about Donna Eaton because Donna, this before she passed away, was was sick, had breast cancer, and she was thinking about my mom who had had breast cancer. And she said, why don't you do that kind of, that, I don't know what the exact shade or whatever the technical term is, is it fuchsia? But she said, do the breast cancer pink, like on my license plate for your mom and for Donna and et cetera, et cetera. We've known a number of people. And I said, okay. So we got those in the pipeline and those are here and there's going to be a thousand of them. And what we're going to do is each one of, and there's only going to be one figure this time. This is the only one being released. Last time we did a double header, but this one, it's a special deal. We've done fundraisers for the crusade for children before for various things and of course the american cancer society we've done and jeremy bagley and me the og cult guys have helped with those and last year we did nami the national alliance on mental illness this one a thousand pink and black breast cancer pink and black jim Cornette action figures autographed personally if you wish and we're doing $10 off of each figure sold to the Susan G. Komen Foundation to fight breast cancer. And it's not a gimmick. We're not like doing the increase in price deal and jacking it up 10 bucks from what it usually is and then giving the $10 away, which as an old friend of mine used to say, like giving away the sleeves on your vest 
No increase in price on the figure, but we're donating $10 each, so the goal is to raise $10,000 for breast cancer. So, again, that is the Spring Spectacular Sale at jimcornett.com, Saturday, April 8th, and you can go now, or you better be able to, or else, elsewise Hotchkiss will be in trouble again. You can go to jimcornett.com, and there'll be banners on the front page with pictures of all this stuff and explaining what I just explained. But we got our, we got our work cut out for us in April. The feather bottoms are going to be activated. How many can we put you down for, Brian? Uh, one. I don't want to take anything away from the people out there who are trying to get their hands on them. You don't want to be greedy. No. Well, good. Well, that's, that's mighty admirable of you. Where is it on your website? I'm looking on your website now. I don't see it. Not now. Now when the people hear this. Not now as we're saying it. See, now you've, you've, you've blown the kayfabe on the, on the Feather Bottoms deal. So you're going to be in pink and black. So if anyone ever wanted you to manage the figure of Jim Cornette to manage the figure of Bret Hart, this is your chance. There you go. Yeah. And, 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 and then Neidhart and... The Hart Foundation the, the Hart with Jim Foundation. Cornette. Yeah, interesting. See, in an alternate universe, what if Watts had picked Jimmy Hart? Would you have been happy wearing the same color scheme every night for at least two years? No, well, if it was integral to my success, I wouldn't have minded it, but that would have been a pain in the ass having to get like fucking 15 of the same jacket and 15 of the same pants, 15 of the same ties, 15, whatever the case. Because you can't wear the same thing every fucking day. Can't live like savages. If you had managed the Hart Foundation, knowing how Vince is, you had Brett the Hitman Hart, Jim the Anvil Knight Hart, their manager was the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, you would have needed something to tie you into Hart. So Jim something Cornette. How about Heartless? <laughs> Jim Heartless Cornette. I don't, but that, you know, I haven't even thought about that before ever, but that would have, well, I wonder what would have happened. If, well, he wouldn't let him have him and Jimmy wouldn't have gone. I was going to say what if Watts had wanted Jimmy Hart instead of me. And I was the one that stayed in Memphis, but Jimmy lived in Memphis. He was from Memphis. By that point, he was past 40 and he wasn't going to go fight those fucking fans in Louisiana. I don't think. Whereas. You know, I'm like, yeah, I'll do any fucking thing because they ain't doing anything with me here. Um, and yes, Jimmy took the New York job because then, my God, then, you know, also at the time, uh, you know, he got into obviously doing their music. I know everybody thinks of Jim Johnston, but Jimmy Hart had a lot to do with the early days of WWF music because besides Cindy Lauper and Dave Wolf, he was the only guy that was there at the time that had actually legitimately been in the music business. Um, so I don't think it would have worked out good for either one of us if it hadn't happened that way. Just imagine Jim Cornette on the wrestling album. Walk tootie fruity, tootie fruity, tootie fruity. Well, Gene Okerlund did that. You couldn't have taken that from Gene. I was about to say, I, you know, I, I couldn't have deprived the populace of Gene Okerlund's performance in that classic. Ha! Huh, anyway, 
And, and uh, have you edu- educated yourself on what happened to poor old Cruella DeVille yet? I haven't because I had so much fun talking to you about this, realizing I knew very little about it that I figured I would wait till we got on the air. Okay. Well, uh, and you brought it up to me on the our phone conversation here yesterday because this happened a couple of weeks ago and we've been talking about 500 things lately with all the programs and the biographies and the pay-per-views and the strife and the chaos and the turmoil and the blood and the mud and the sweat, the tears. But Sonia Deville got arrested. Um, I guess it's been a couple weeks ago now. I don't have the date and charged with temporarily charged with, I guess they're either going to be dropped or soon to be whatever possession of a firearm. And, you brought this up to me, said, you know what? We didn't talk about this. And I said, well, you know, she got, she got hornswoggled, bamboozled, flim flammed, hosed even. And you didn't know the particulars. You thought apparently that she was taken down by members of fucking a SWAT team while she was waving an AK-47 around a fucking crowded shopping mall or something. I didn't think it was that. Well, you 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 didn't know it wasn't her fault, and that she was she was wrongfully wrongfully subject to fucking persecution and prosecution. So I sound like Stephen P. New warming up. Hey, yeah. Sonya, we give you the business on the program here, but if you want somebody to take somebody to court, Stephen P. New newlawoffice dot com eight 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 six nine two eight zero eight four. And that wasn't what I was saying at all, but continue. But nevertheless. So if, if you didn't you didn't look it up because you want me to tell you. You want me to be the bearer of this news to you is what you're saying. I'm thinking about your future. Jim Cornette crime reporter <laughs> has a nice ring to it. Well, here is this is the story that was reported from sources that I believe. As I said, I do not remember the exact date. And the only thing that I, other thing I'm sketchy on is I'm pretty sure she was at this place, because of just as a private citizen, I don't think it was related to a WWE event, well, at least not. She's from New Jersey, I believe. Well, well yes. Yes. So I'm just saying, but it, I mean, it, she could have been at an event in town, but it wasn't at this particular location. But I, otherwise, she may have just been on a personal trip. But nevertheless, so apparently... She valet parks her car at this hotel casino, wherever the fuck she's at, in New Jersey. And when she goes to get her car, as sometimes happens, she can't find the valet ticket. And so, you know, at that point, if you can identify your, you know, your car or whatever, usually there's okay and blah, 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 and whatever. But this, the valet parking attendant, since they didn't have the ticket, went looking in the glove compartment of the car to see what he could determine. I didn't know that they let the valet parking attendant just rifle through your goddamn car, whether you had your ticket or not. But nevertheless, he opens a glove compartment, sees a gun in it, and then goes and calls the hotel security, who apparently are tasked with the job of doing the security for this place and making sure that everybody's on the up and up. So apparently again, instead of going to Sonia Deville and doing any kind of 
preliminary investigation on this, they determine they're going to call the real police who who's come. And because she's got a permit to carry the gun, but she lives in Florida, but she's from, as you said, New Jersey. So she's not in the state. She has the permit to carry it. They arrest her. And I, and I know a lot of people are going to be, so Cornette's the one screaming about how oh, they shouldn't have all these guns. No, okay, numb nuts. Here's a good lesson in context. This, at any point, could have been slowed down to a crawl if even the hotel security had bothered to say, excuse me, ma'am, you have a gun in your car. Why do you have, and she would have been allowed to say, well, don't you know who I am? I'm Sonia Deville. I'm on national television on the WWE. And there's a guy in prison or in a rubber room at the puzzle factory somewhere right now because he broke into my home, tried to kidnap me. And I have a permit to carry this when I'm out and about because I'm an attractive woman on national TV that could somehow my appearance provoke some of these fucking mental cases to come after me with duct tape and zip ties. That's the perfect example of why somebody should be allowed to carry a handgun. If if you need an AK-47 to fight off the goddamn stalkers, then maybe you're in the wrong line of work. No, I don't believe she's stockpiling ammunition or joining a militia. And I don't think that she is probably going to be at the goddamn next attempted Trump overthrow of the federal government. I think it's okay for Sonia Deville to have a handgun in her car when she's traveling either alone or probably with her girlfriend or fiance. Now, I guess they, she proposed or whatever. That was on Twitter the other day. So here's two women, one whom have been the subject of a fucking attempted kidnapping that have legally fulfilled requirements to carry a gun at, in, in the, the state they live in, but now they're somewhere else. They got to be arrested for that. Instead, you know, and, and if you go to New Jersey, for heaven's sake, with the type of people you'll find on the streets there, you probably should oh, have some projection oh, protection. Give me a break. But nevertheless, that's the poster girl. This is the poster girl for someone who should be allowed to carry a gun places because there has been a threat specifically to her because of who she is and she's a recognizable public figure. And she didn't do anything to instigate it. And she's gone through the proper legal steps. That's why they should be there. You want a fucking AK-47 because you're overrun with goddamn ground squirrels? Fuck you. Or you're afraid that you're you got goddamn delusional fucking fantasies then one of these days you're going to have to tell the government fuck off and do things right. Fuck you. But this poor has to go through all of this because somebody along that process couldn't figure out that, well, maybe we don't need to call the cops. I mean, do, do Sonia Deville or her fiance, do they look like goddamn Suge Knight? Oh, Jesus Christ. Or maybe they they brought in a fucking, 20 kilos of cocaine strapped to the goddamn underneath of the engine of this car because of the they they're obviously Pablo Escobar's fucking you know sisters what the fuck 
Nobody could just say, hey, who are you guys? What's going on here? Before that, that's my issue with the whole fucking thing. Well, you shouldn't, I mean, you know, again, you do need to have your gun licensed wherever you have it. I do think that's a good thing. With that said, I think if you are a celebrity that's constantly on the road, there probably does need to be something there, especially if you've had stalkers, some kind of interstate law so that you can carry. I would think if anyone's going to be able to carry, that's the person. Yeah. And and then again, she didn't even have it in her purse, like because she's been in the public place. And I this I don't know what time of day this was, but she's been in the public place where she didn't feel she needed it because she's around the fucking general public. But she's keeping it in a rental car because if she's driving around at night or whatever the fuck. And that's uh, uh, again not one of these fucking lunatic. You know, the good guy with a gun group. It's always, oh, we need all these guns because then we'll save the day when something happens. They tweeted another one this past week. Of This guy walks up on, it's a, I don't know what country it was in. They were not speaking English. Um, But it's just a random video. There's a bunch of people on the street. This guy walks up with a gun and points it at some woman, apparently saying, give me whatever the fuck. And this other woman pulls a gun out and just shoots the guy <laughs> and boom, down he goes, pulls it out of her purse. And everybody's saying, see, that guy learned a lesson. Yeah. And the fucking like five-year-old child that was standing two or three feet to the fucking diagonal right of this guy, when he got shot, if his rib cage hadn't blocked a bullet, she'd have got a good little lesson too. And the mother that was trying to drag this child away Running, she her back of her head was lined up in a good close proximity. You fucking idiots! Is this where? Oh, that guy's got a gun, so let's all fucking pull a gun and shoot at him and half the goddamn community. No, if there's a legitimate reason, and this certainly sounds like it, and she was being responsible, and that's what I understand. There's no heat on her from the office because you know what the fuck. Um, what gives? I mean, but unless she said. You can identify the card by something I have in the glove compartment. Why was why were they going through the glove compartment? I have no idea. And because I've I know that it happens regularly that the valet parkers will probably, you know, sniff through whatever the fuck they've got time to look at, but it's not usually officially validated and admitted. <sighs> I went looking for a person. I found the gun. Yeah. <laughs> we wish you good luck, Cruella. And she, plus, she's so recognizable. She's got such a striking look. Right? She can't fucking hide. But you know what the moral of this story is, don't you, Brian? Oh, no, I don't know. The moral of this story is stay away from these hotels, sleep at home. That's where you ain't going to get any trouble if you're if you're at home. And if you... You ain't going to lose your car because you're not valet parking it. It's in your garage. You know where it is. And if you need to go to sleep, you know what kind of mattress you're going to lay your head down on. You know, back the last year that I was on the road with Ring of Honor, you know what was making the news, don't you? Bed bugs. A bed bug invasion across the country. In big cities, in major hotel chains, places that you would not imagine. 
They had the bed bugs. Bed bugs were running rampant. It was all over the TV news and everything. You know where you're sure to never have bed bugs? At least bed bugs that you're not sure how they fucking got there? And that's in your own fucking home, on your own mattress, minding your own business, and laying down your weary head on a Helix Sleep product. That's where you're not going to get bed bugs. Because anytime else you lay down on something somebody else has been laying on on a regular basis, you don't know what's going to leave when you get up and, and it's going to come with you. All right, can you feel me, Brian, last? You know what I mean? But I'll tell you, on a Helix, you ain't going to have that problem. You know exactly what's been on that Helix. Just you and anybody that you approve to be on it that has entered the circle of trust into your home. That's why every home in America needs a Helix sleep mattress. No bed bugs. Well, you're not, well, well for the record, what? no bed bugs are being brought into your house with the brand new, clean, and wonderful, and comfortable Helix sleep mattress. Yes. What happens from that point forward, it's kind of more on you than anyone else. Well, that's right. The bed bugs would be on you if you were... If you were just a promiscuous mattress user, if you just were willing to go out and lay down on this brand of mattress this night and that brand of mattress the next night and that brand of mattress, sooner or later you're going to pick something up, Brian. But if you go home every night and you stay faithful to your Helix sleep mattress, well, you're not going to get any crabs or cankers or sores or cellular disruptions or anything chewing on you, earwigs. That's a thing. You know, some of these hotel mattresses you sleep on, things can crawl in your ear and eat your brain. That's why every morning when you wake up in a hotel, you're a little bit stupider than you were the day before. But if you're a faithful, honest, upstanding, forthright, and monogamous mattress user, and every night you go home to your beloved Helix sleep mattress, you know about the cooling technology that it's going to wrap you up in. You know that whatever firmness or softness you desire, that's what that Helix sleep mattress is going to provide you. And you know when you lay down on it, even if you're a portly individual and you had to get the big and tall brand of mattress, that it's not going to cave in under your cavernous weight. No, 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 ladies and gentlemen. That Helix sleep mattress, whichever one, that you have chosen by taking the two-minute helixsleep.com quiz to match you with the perfect mattress that they make, whichever one you lay down is going to, it's going to welcome you into its open figurative arms like a mother welcomes its newborn baby. And it's going to suckle you up against its beautiful stitching and you're going to fall asleep and go into dreamland just like you're floating on a cloud of imitation opium. That's what's going <laughs> to happen to you. <laughs> Why imitation opium? Well, because we can't, we can't advertise the real shit, even though for an upcharge, folks, if you go to a certain part of the site. No, anyway, no, no, there is no up. No, don't say that. The, the, why you? Uh, no uh, opium. I give up. But right now, folks, if you go to Helix, that's H-E-L-I-X sleep.com slash J-C-E. You know the drill, folks. Either a 10 or 15-year warranty, depending on the model. They've got multiple manufactured issues for 
big people and little people and hot people and cold people and short people and fat people and tall people and all kinds of people. As long as you're part of the people, you want a Helix Sleep mattress and they are offering up to 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. If you go to helixsleep.com slash JCE, this is the big one. It's their best offer yet. It's not going to last long. Somehow the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to shut this thing down. They're just Stop giving that. No, they're not. Away. Don't say these things. Oh, no, for not. heaven's sake. Well, it's got to be some kind of they're laundering money or something. Because They're I don't not know how laundering they, money. How do they afford to stay in business like this? It's some kind of, certainly some kind of Ponzi scheme. They it's support- certainly a legitimate business delivering legitimate, wonderful mattresses. Well, and they support the military and first responders and teachers and students. So what what are they pulling there trying to get all those people on their side? They get special discounts. Yes, they do. And it's a wonderful mattress that we really want you to try. And please use the promo code and try them and let them know how much you like their mattress and let us know that you have tried their mattress. They've got over 12,000 five-star reviews. How much did that cost them to buy all those fucking rave reviews? Holy mackerel. They those must are be legitimate customers. Those are all legitimate human customers. Well, no, they'll let dogs and cats sleep on the mattress. And, and, and if you've got little rodents, whether gerbils or, or the, uh, you know, rats or mice or, or rabbits, things like that. Uh, they can all sleep on these. Helixsleep.com slash JCE. What has happened? Boy, howdy. You can just pile into this one of these mattresses with, it's a three-dog night. It'll keep you warm without even the dogs. So the dogs are a plus. So sleep on a Helix mattress to be as warm as a dog and then bring some dogs in to make it even better. Helix. I don't even know what you're saying anymore, but yes, Helix. Well, speaking of bed bugs and earwigs and things that infest you, should we talk about AEW's television program this past Wednesday night? I was wondering where you were going with that. Yes, we could do that. Well, the world of AEW, and I guess, am I apparently a trending again as we're talking now because of something that I was not even involved in, but the AEW fans just hate me to begin with? It's been about a day or so, and yes, you are trending, you have been trending, you Continue to trend. You're a very trendy guy. Trendy McTrenderson. So, Riho has gotten off of Twitter. I never tweeted her that I'm aware of, and I didn't follow her, so I didn't know about this, but I read about it from people tweeting me saying, well, it's your fault. So how did I, how was I responsible for Riho getting off of Twitter? From the best of my knowledge, what happened was Riho deactivated her Twitter account. And people right away, well, I shouldn't say people, a subsect of fans ran right away with the idea that she's being harassed by Jim Cornette's fans. And they came to this conclusion because Riho said nothing. (laughs) They came to this conclusion because in the past, Kenny Omega has complained about fans in North America being vocal on Twitter with... Oh, the ones they broadcast their television program to. The fans in North America, where their company is located. That's right. So Riho deactivated her to Twitter, and people jumped to the conclusion that it was because of you. And 
I've not seen anything explicitly say that Riho quit Twitter because English-speaking fans were harassing her. So I hate to just jump to conclusions like that. Unfortunately, a lot of people did. And again, this is so someone that they have never met gets off of Twitter. And this is a reason for them to have violent fantasies of my immediate death. I think the one, the one guy tweeted and then so many people reported him, I guess they, they took it down or it violated policies or whatever. I hope Jim Cornette and all of his family die horrible, grisly deaths. Oh no, it was all the listeners. It was anyone who's a fan oh, and of all yours. His listeners, we dude. should all perish because all. Riho got off Twitter. Cause she got again. She got off Twitter. She got off Twitter. She's going to Twitch, maybe. Because she's going to Twitch instead of Twit. Who gives a shit? Are you serious? She is a grown woman. Have we established she's in her 30s? She's Have not we, in her 30s. Thir- <laughs> I don't think we've established we say, that. Didn't we no. say that? She's like 30, 31, 32? Is she, how old is she? Hold on. No, I think she's in her 20s. Riho is 25 years old. Okay, she's 25 years old then. She just She's got miles on her. She is, if if the headline was, Riho has been deprived of food, or Riho is diabetic and, and the, her insulin is being withheld, or Riho is in the middle of a heat wave and has no electricity, that may, and, and it's all the fault of those Cornette fans. Well, you might have something to hang your hat on there. But she got off Twitter. She's an adult. With a high-paying job that she's not particularly good at. I think she'll be just fine. And as we mentioned last week on the program, it's at this point, not even her fault. It's theirs for thinking that this would get over, for telling her that she's a great professional wrestler because of the culture they have in Japan that has these young girls doing all these weird things that they got no business doing because it looks ridiculous when they do it. Uh, so, and, and it's not like, it's not. did I invent this line of thinking that if I'm watching professional wrestling, why do I want to see a four foot 10, 90 pound girl dressed in taffeta? No, but if anyone says something that you may have said at any point on any show at any point in history, it gets sent back to you. They're repeating Jim Cornette, so obviously Jim Cornette's the blame for all of this. Is it my fault just because I'm the only person anybody knows? Well, it is a very popular series of shows we do here, but a couple things. One, you know, when I heard this news, I had two thoughts. One was, of course, Hana Kimura, who passed away via suicide, after being harassed by Japanese, I don't even think it was wrestling fans. Was it wrestling fans or just Japanese no, fans no, of no, reality it, TV? It was, it was the, but here's the thing. They have, not to get on a soapbox here, but they have these girls, not only do they do the wrestling thing with the Joshis, with the little small girls and the underage girls, with the wrestler, we've seen the vid- the video footage. But they also have the, what do they call them, the idol bands, where they have them sing and make pop stars out of them. We were talking about the monkeys a little while ago. It's not necessarily that they have musical talent, but that they are cute. 
oh, young girls. That's she was on a reality show, Hanukkah Mora. That's what it was. Yes, and and then they have reality TV shows where they put these either the pop idols or the whatever on the and she did some innocuous thing to anybody in the American culture or whatever, but it was something that they thought badly of over there and harassed her about it. The fans, this reality show on Twitter and she committed suicide, which is horrible. And that's, again, that's why I maintain that some people do not, should not be public figures. And it doesn't just, it if, if, if Riho's a 25-year-old adult making six figures, literally working part-time for AEW plus whatever the fuck else, um, and she has to get off Twitter, it's not like giving up food or fucking, or, or goddamn, or, you know, dialysis. But at the same time, some people don't, if they, you can't be a public figure and expect everybody to love you and say good things. And as we've known with Twitter, this has been the opportunity for every asshole that's ever existed now to be able to say shit to people that they would have never been able to even talk to or get near before. And you got to expect that. And if you don't let block them, I love to block people because it's, it's less effort than wiping dog shit off my shoe. You say something smart, Alec, to me, you're going to get blocked if I see it and have time. But some people can't be public personalities. But again, even you now are doing what other people are doing. You're assuming the reason why this person who gave no reason deactivated no, I was talking account. about I was talking about Hana Kimura. Hana Kimura. God damn it, I can't say it now. But yes, but in it... I'm not so whatever Riho. So she got off Twitter. The people are mad that she had to get off Twitter. Like that is depriving her of some major portion of her fucking life. And why, and why would she be upset about it? If she didn't want to put up with people fucking saying shit about her on Twitter, then she got off of Twitter or for whatever reason she got off of Twitter. Yeah. What's her home life? Like for anyone who wants to jump to assumptions is real allowed to leave the house when she's in America. Is Rio allowed to just talk to anyone backstage without Kenny's permission? So before anyone jumps to conclusions about why Rio may have gotten off Twitter, let's examine everything. But let me go back a step, Jim. I don't think anyone should be harassing Rio or anyone on Twitter. If someone gives you a problem, give them a problem back and give them a problem a lot harder. But if no one's giving you a problem, mind your own business. That doesn't mean you can't critique something on TV that you're watching, you can. But no one should be harassing Riho or anyone else. But for these fans, and again, it's a small subset of fans. They're harassing me. That, well, that's what I'm about to say. <laughs> There's a ninny wrestling audience. They're straight, they're gay, they're employed, they live in a basement. There's a ninny audience that are miserable and are just looking to take things down and take things out on other things. and. You're obviously a big target for AEW fans. With this Riho thing, listen, I don't know what kind of, again, from English-speaking fans, I don't know what she's reading on English-speaking Twitter. I just literally don't know. And I don't know what kind of harassment she is or isn't getting on there. Jim and I both get lots of things from people who declare themselves AEW fans wishing us death. 
wishing harm to our families. In this case that you talked about earlier, wishing harm to the listeners. We get this all the time. But you know what happens when all you- All the time. And, and you know, like that, it just, that, that's what bothers me. Because it's like, if Jim Cornette, I said this in the uh, Cult of Cornette Facebook group. If Jim Cornette deactivated his Twitter tomorrow because of the most recent, I don't even know if you call it a death threat, wish of harm that came in, which just came in this morning, if that caused him to deactivate his Twitter, would this conversation be flipped the other way? That AEW fans are out of control. That AEW is at responsibility for these nutcase fans that can't take criticism of their product. It's a double standard. It's ridiculous. And again, until Rio comes out and says something, don't assume anything. Well, besides that, I've never tweeted Rio to begin with. I've never told anybody to tweet Rio to begin with. And honestly, I can see where you would come off like an asshole if Johnny Dipshit in Des Moines said the same thing about Riho's wrestling that I do. Because Johnny Dipshit in Des Moines is not a fucking nearly goddamn 45-year fucking veteran of being involved in this business or one of the most successful track records at almost everything in it. So I get an opinion about her wrestling. Is she a good cook? I don't fucking know. Not my goddamn wheelhouse, as they say. I don't know anything else about her personal life or what her interests are, hobbies, or talents. But her wrestling ain't gonna cut it. And that's what I'm qualified to comment on. <sighs> but that's the thing. It's like the idea that you're not allowed. And again, I think there probably are, because there are for us. I'm basing it on what we see, the feedback we see. And you see it a lot worse than me. There are crazy fans who are going to say crazy things and act in crazy ways, and you block them. You move on with your life. If it gets crazy enough, you turn it over to the police. That's it. You wash your hands of it. No one should be harassing Riho, but if that's really the reason she deactivated Twitter, I want to hear that because everyone's jumping to the assumption that it's Jim Cornette fans. And trust me, whether it's fans of AEW or fans of these individual wrestlers, we get it. <laughs> we get it as bad as anyone could get it. So give me a break. Well, give me and, a break. and besides that, again, it's I know I'm the most well-known personality involved in wrestling podcasting today. So everybody just naturally assumes that I come up with everything first, but it's not a stretch to think that many wrestling fans, especially fans of the territories and or legitimate professional wrestling would have the same basic impression of Miss Riho that I have. And the whole Joshi fetish that Kenny has foisted off on that company and wasted millions of dollars of their money in payroll and transportation over a period of time. But as far as anybody who wishes me any harm, you know what Mama Cornette used to say? Oh, no. Wish it in one hand and shit in the other one and see which one fills up first. You know what else Mama Cornette used to say? What's that? Get a job, get off the computer, and get your dick sucked. I don't remember her ever saying. That wasn't she her? Actually, she never even had to say <laughs> the first one because I had a job by the time I was legally old enough to have a job. Yeah, with you, it was you're working too much. Actually, she did <laughs> say that a couple times, but nevertheless. I was an industrious teenager. Let's get into the program because I, I'm going to try to help some people, some innocent victims 
that uh, appeared on this program. I'm going to give some advice to them, the wrestlers, the poor beleaguered wrestlers that maybe they can take under advisement since this program's not doing anything for them. And I'm going to, I'm going to try not to just scream and chew nails for two hours. So I will say at the top of the program that this is a commentary and then I will move on as quickly as possible and not beat the dead horse. But this is weeks now that Tony Khan has started the program with an A&P championship match involving the company mascot, our little puppy pockets. Because one time he did one good rating on a show. Despite every evidence to the contrary of every other program, they kept the rating through one fucking television program with pockets on first. So he gives it to us a month straight. Why didn't he learn anything from all the viewers that the EVPs lost every week for two months? He didn't adjust because of those numbers, but he adjusts because he gets a fluke. So the opening match was Pockets and Jay Lethal, and it's not just sad, it's a shame that Jay Lethal, with the talent and experience the qualities that he brings to the table as a wrestler, as an employee, as a person, that he doesn't have the WWE after him for a big contract. The I was surprised we were able to sign him in Ring of Honor in 2012. TNA was fucking foolish enough to let his contract go. And I couldn't believe they didn't want him then. And I'm. it's a shame the only other national TV option is a company that has no idea how to use him, and he's reduced to having to cooperate with and getting stunk up by the company mascot. It's embarrassing to the wrestling business in general, Tony's fixation with this fucking guy, but now it's criminal misuse of good talent that has to go along with this. And you know Jay has to be frustrated. He's capable of and deserves better than this. But that's... You know, ah, I'm just, I'm at a loss for words. And, and that's why I think if you're a young wrestler who has it mentally and you think you've got talent and believe you got a shot, you're serious about your business, do you want to take a chance now? Vince is gone, supposedly from creative at least, but do you want to take a chance on Triple H making you look like a goof in NXT or... AEW, if you might be humiliated on national television, having to put over the puppy. And again, you know, in this wonders one, for Adam Cole. Uh, oh God. Well, he'll be fantastically over when he comes back, Adam Cole, because of his triumph over the concussion issue. If he hadn't had the concussion issue right now, he wouldn't be able to sell pussy on a troop train, much less a wrestling ticket because the way he was going. And again, with Jay here, it just, it's, but it's not at this point, even though goofball here was trying, he wrestled this week for the most part. You know what that tells you is anybody can do this. He comes out and the pudding gang comes out with him from the start. It looks like a fucking Saturday night live parody. He comes out with his fucking outfit, 
and there's Muffin Top and Cupcake, whoever the fuck, the Pudding Gang, and Danhausen made up. And then they wish him well and go to the back. How do you think that Trent and Muffin Top feel when the biggest joke wrestler in the business is on TV and their careers are so moribund that they're just the clowns that see him off and then go back to the back? Well, they like the checks. But anyway, and Lethal comes out, and he's got Jeff and Sanjay and Zippy, and the referees come out to send them back. And did you see Aubrey Ed shoving guys and pointing wildly and sticking her ass out for emphasis? And I was afraid she was going to trample somebody. And it's, so she's showing off. And then they made sure to remind us it's one and one. This is their third match, Lethal and Pockets. And so they remind us that already Pockets is beating this guy. One. And the announcer, by the way, did you hear when the announcer audio got piped into the arena and everybody would shit themselves and, oh my God, what the fuck? That was and the highlight of the show. Did I hear that? That was the best part of this entire program. So Pockets is 22 and one in AEW and 14 wins straight. Can you imagine if a talent was given that push. And so anyway, that's the thing. In in this one, Pockets tried to wrestle because you know he used to do it in Chikara. Um, if he doesn't wrestle, it's the phony gimmick that makes business look like shit. And if he does wrestle, then it proves that any bland, unimpressive, skinny goofball in blue jeans can do this, so it devalues the business. This guy would never, this guy would never be look at, looked at seriously in any type of major promotion. I don't know that we would have accepted him in the OVW training program. And Tony thinks he's cute. So they have the match. It went on too long, and then finally, Pockets hit Roman Reigns's finish one two three and beat Jay Lethal. Except he didn't hit it because the punch missed. Um, for one thing, but then he beat Jay Lethal one, two, three on national television. God damn it. And then Jeff Jarrett jumped in from behind and laid pockets out with the stroke and broke the guitar over his knee and got a ton of heat because people in the building, they love this fucking clown. But we were 22 minutes into this program by the time that was done. And Unfortunately, it will be announced later on that next week, and we'll get to what Tony said and how he said it, but next week, it's going to be Jeff versus Pockets. Except, I believe I smell a title change. Because I believe that I smell that Jeff Jarrett wouldn't work with his motherfucker if he was going to do a job for him. Now that I've said yeah, that, yes, he would. Yes, it. he would. He, he would do anything. No. This is why I believe that they've given the clown three or four weeks of wins on television because some way or another, Jeff sees a way to get some fucking heat off this guy and work with somebody that means something. That's what I'm thinking. And he has pitched it to Tony, who was probably impressed that he actually had a wrestling angle pitched to him that went three weeks and ended up with being able to use the fucking 
goofball for some productive reason. But anyway, I I don't see Jeff Jarrett doing a job this early as he's coming to company for this fucking guy. We'll see what happens. That's where Jeff's positioned on these shows. He's not anything special. I could see him doing the job there. Tony loves well, then, Orange then Cassidy. Then they completely lost their fucking minds. Then because then that would be what five weeks in a row that we've had to suffer through this for no payoff, just stroking this guy's dick, putting him over. He'll and he'll never go anywhere, and he'll never mean anything. The I promise you, the only people that want to see this fucking guy are the people that are already watching. He will not bring you a goddamn soul to the table that's not already there. Nevertheless, speaking of people that aren't already there, so Wardlow got his fucking rental car broken into and all of his gear, including the title belt stolen. He's the TNT champion, right? That's his, right? I'm actually, I'm trying to confirm that. Yes. I can't remember one title from another because there's so many of them. So they covered that is why he can't be dressed and there's no belt later in the program. And then Hobbs with, was with Renee, and he's got a good delivery. He needs a little bit of bass in his voice. I'm talking about conviction, a little bit more conviction, maybe a little deeper too, but a little bit more conviction, a little bit more confidence there. But he's got, again, all the tools. So then here comes Ricky Starks. Brian, here's a question. The people love him. The people are bringing the house down when he comes out. The same thing as they do for pockets. But this guy has a chance to actually bring normal people into watching this program. Why isn't he 22 and 1 with 14 straight? I've seen Ricky Starks get beat like a government mule over the past six months. Because he wasn't Tony's favorite. He didn't, you know what I mean? Because Tony didn't dress up like Ricky Starks for Halloween. That's the difference between getting beat like a redheaded stepchild every week and being 22 and one with 14 straight. Uh, So he says, what's next after Jericho? That's what everybody's asking him. That's what everybody's talking about. (laughs) And then he says, I'm not sure. And the only other thing he's able to get out is It's not necessarily what I'm going to do next, but where I'm going to go next. And then music interrupts him. But let's unpack this for a second before we get to the next part of this fiasco. Why would you have a babyface come out after he's beat Chris Jericho now twice, and they still kind of worked it to where, I don't know if he's any better off for it. But what's next? I'm not sure. And then say it's not where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do, but where I'm going to go, which everybody thinks that means he's going to leave AEW. That would be the only reason you would drop that hint or that say that line. And enough of that. I can't keep doing that. Uh, well, yeah, I'm such a big star here. I'm going to leave. Like, yeah, because it's, it's, it, 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 it's happened and it'll probably happen again. But why would that... <laughs> Why would he be, I don't understand, and I know somebody's going to say, well, wait till a story play out. No, you get the impression from this guy that he's not happy where he is, he wants to get the fuck out. And 
Maybe they don't see the TV in two or three weeks or the YouTube episode where you explain this, but... Are they playing up the idea that he was caught with Cody at the Royal Rumble? Who knows? But then, but then most people don't know that. So, anyway... Is this, is this the worst? I mean, it's, eh, I shouldn't say that because it takes in a lot. But for AEW, have they ever done a worse job of following up a pay-per-view with a Dynamite? For everyone that was involved with that pay-per-view... Dynamite did nothing to help anyone. <laughs> they, they they blur in my mind, but I mean, this has to be one of the stellar examples of not. Uh, but as soon as he said that, which had only been 30 seconds or whatever, music and the Bullet Club logo showed up on the screen. And then into the ring from behind and attacking Ricky Starks is the incomparable Juice Robinson, who we have seen what was three times on TV about six or eight months ago? Was it last summer? We may have seen him three or four times over two years, including last. Well, yeah, no, ago. I mean ever three or four times. Yeah. And some, and he hits in street clothes and like everybody in the world is supposed to know who this fucking guy is. And they announced, oh, it's Juice Robinson. We haven't seen, I think they even said we haven't seen him in a while. Thank God he cued the guy with the big image on the screen. So it was it was the same angle as 10 minutes beforehand where a guy jumps in a ring and fucking, you know, gets jumped and, and from behind and he hits a reverse DDT on Starks that looked kind of wicked and stood over him. So Starks got a 30-second promo and then was laid out by a guy that most people have no fucking clue who the fuck he is. Unless you watch New Japan, which I believe their ratings on access were what, you know, 90 Oof. or 100,000 people as opposed to six or seven or 800,000. I don't even think it was that high. And he's been on, again, he's been off TV for six months. Suddenly he comes in, lays fucking. Eh. You, know what, right. though, you know what? A couple of things I thought about here. One, as soon as you see that Bullet Club sign, you just groan. They were kind of lame for years. But especially now, no one wants to see that. Secondly, last year, you know, things were kind of looking all right. Not great, but punk segments were good. Danielson was just coming off a pretty good, interesting period of time. FTR. Things were happening. Then the TV went to complete shit because they were building up that New Japan crossover event, Forbidden Door. That's right. Even before the all-out scrum, TV for a month or six weeks was drismal. Didn't that start in the spring? Is that going to start again? I mean, the TV's been awful now. So the TV's worse now than it was a year ago. Are they going to now insert all this New Japan stuff into the show again? Uh, well, they're inserting as much as they can possibly insert. This looks like a gape fetish video uh, for wrestling with all the insertions there. So speaking of being inserted, they go back to Tony Schiavone with Wardlow, <laughs> who was making fun of losing his gear he's wearing an ftr shirt but again he's got he had decent delivery here but the material he challenged hob they're already working he is already wrestling powerhouse hobbs for the title in the main event of the television program but now he challenges him to make it a falls count anywhere anything goes match lazy booking 
Why? How about the reasoning though? Since I have no clothes and someone stole my gear, why don't we just make it false, Karen? Yeah, I think. <laughs> then it would. Be, how about a street fight? Come dressed as you are, and it would happen in the. That doesn't. Oh my God. So now he's handicapped these poor young fellas. And this is a good thing, by the way. Tony will get another belt. Tony probably has seven other belts already there to oh, hand Oh, no, out. he said. He said he does. Yeah. He did an interview saying that he's already had other belts made. He's waiting for the chance to introduce them. Yeah, so that, and then, remember, Wardlow wore that swimsuit that glittered at the pay-per-view. Whatever causes him to get new gear, I'm all for that. <sighs> all right, but moving on. Because you know the question in everybody's mind, the burning question of the day, why, Ruby, why? Renee Moxligod was in the ring with Ruby Soso and by Soraya and Storm. Now they're doing a deal where they come out to the entrance for moral support also and then see her off. And then now, obviously, they come out for the entrance. If she gets in trouble or after the match, you know you're going to see them. So Ruby's promo. You all created this monster. I thought Hobbs was using that three months ago. It it looks better on, I know Ruby, when she first gets up in the morning before makeup, she may look like a monster, but Hobbs looks like a fucking monster. I'm not scared of Ruby so-so. But her story is that people booed her against Britt Baker, and then against Chris Statlander. How long ago was that? Because she's been out injured again for six months. What a great way to tease her comeback. Just randomly bring up her name. She got a pop, too. Randomly she, yeah, bring up her yeah. name in the middle of a promo. Well, also, she's from. they're still in California. They can't... AEW, the whole roster is still in California. They can't afford the bus fare. You get the fuck out. They can't get as far as goddamn needles. So she got booed against Statlander last year, I guess. And then they booed her when Hater beat her because that's when Hater was getting to be really popular. And they, oh, fuck it. They lost the opportunity to turn her on Brit. And then Ruby says the fat, mouth-breathing, neck-beard trolls turned on Soraya. Well, she got a point there. Well, no, uh, but she didn't she say that they really wanted Soraya to make a comeback? Who did? I didn't want any of this on the show. I didn't want this promo on the show. These are the segments no. that kill the show. In all honesty, in all honesty, Ruby Soso did a hell of a promo here, Even, but the whole story is a fucking mess. She did a great job with crap material, and nobody cares, but she did, she did a good job with it. Now, take that for, you know, what it's worth. Because I wrote, Ruby is doing a heck of a promo, even though this whole thing is a fucking mess. And then she called out her opponent, Blue Sky. And here came Blue Sky. Sky Blue. That's what I said. And they had a match, and Ruby beat her up, and it went through a break. And then it came back, and she won. And then Storm and Soraya came back down to paint Sky Blue green. Orange, you glad I said that? And oh, then here comes terrible. come on. Here comes Willow Nightingale out by herself. There's three heels in the ring. She hits the ring by herself. Paige and or Paige, Soraya and Storm bail out. And Willow's talking to Ruby because they used to be friends. And then 
the heels that bailed out walked around the ring and just came in behind. So they jumped Willow from behind. Three jumped from behinds three matches in a row. And then they painted both of them. But I did, they didn't, they just kind of painted lines on them, didn't they? Did they paint letters or did one get the downstroke of L and the other one got the sideways? Yeah, I mean, it's an L, so it's easy to do. Did you understand, or, or it, it, was there a reason why this needed to take up what seemed like between 15 and 20 minutes of television time? There's no reason why any of this should be on the show. There's no reason why Tony should have given Soraya that contract. There's no reason why the women's division should be getting the time it's getting, considering the state of it right now. And there's no reason that if you're going to use any of these women and try to do something serious, it should have bad angles and bad series of angles and then bad embarrassing matches on TV. I just don't think... They have any idea what they're doing right now. The fans don't want to see Soraya. It's not that they've turned on Soraya. They've said, please leave. There are people on this show that even the most diehard AEW fans are like, come on. We want to see something else. There's never been any reason for me to think about you. I don't think anyone Save wants to see this. my life. I'm going down for the last time. What was the name of the Head East album that that immortal hit was I on? have no idea. I don't know that. Flat as a pancake, baby. Well, so is the audience reaction to a lot of these segments. But no, this is not good. Yeah. Well, and see, and they're out there. You know, they've either got the, the Falls Count Anywhere match or the fake Texas death match where they're setting up tables and chairs and ladders and propping stuff up on each other, shop class projects, or they've they got the girls here where they got the spray paint can, and one of them one of them has some wood putty, and the other one's got a thing of caulk. And I bet you one of those girls is going to caulk the other one before the, the time's up. I'm telling you, it looks like a, a raging band of, of renegade home improvers just running around what? trying to... Yeah, they're trying to build things, paint people. They're trying to make new gimmicks and fix these broken-down old wrestlers up. But they're just, they just don't have the experience of the professionals, Brian. You know, the home I improvement see. professional. Yes, of course. Now you see where, where I'm going here. Well, kind of, No, yes. no, no. You, if, no. Let, me, let me explain something, folks. If you want your home improved, you don't want these off-brand shade tree carpenters coming in, leaning ladders up that they're going to break and then have referees run in to hold and... and and using sledgehammers that they can't even break a guy's skull with, how are they going to break up that old concrete? And much less with these girls with the cans of spray paint that they just, well, boy, howdy, they can't hit the broadside of a barn with that paint, much less a home improvement project. You want the professionals in charge of making your home look better, and we've talked about it for several weeks now. The folks at West Shore Home they're the fastest growing shower and bath remodeling company in the United States, and they will stop you from having that nasty, you know, Brian, you've had it many times when your bathtub gets old and it's growing the mold and the mildew and the organisms. I have not had And that, the bacteria no. and no. the fungus and all the little, all the little furry things that when you look into, under the microscope, you see these things, they've got five eyes and six legs and 10 ears. And they're chewing on you every time you get in your, your rotten, mold-riddled bathtub. Or if you get in your rotten, mold-riddled shower with all the grotten, that's the rotten grout, all that grotten down there, well, then you're getting a fungus 
that attaches itself to your feet. Then you walk from your shower to your bedroom and you get in bed and you put your bare feet in the bed and then the fungus is in the bed with your naked dangly bits. You'll get flesh-eating bacteria on your penis as a result of having a dirty shower. What are you talking about? And you don't want that to happen. No, you and don't. I don't know why you're talking about no, any of this. Like, do you know how many people that their penises annually in the United States alone rot off because of dirty showers and bathtubs? You don't know, do you? You don't know either. There's no way no, you know I, this no, either. It's a lot. It's a problem. You don't know that. Problem. Based on it's what? What are you basing on, this on? Based on conversations I've had with people I've talked to. Where and the, things that I've heard. At the post office? Listening. Where? Yeah, so in line at the post office, I, I kept my ears open. And I'll tell you something else. When you're sitting in an old, dirty bathtub, that impermeable green ring around about your belly button area that you can't wash off, that's coming from that dirty water. So you need clean showers and bathtubs to promote general health and welfare and the pursuit of domestic tranquility. And that's what the folks at West Shore Home are doing. They're going to fully replace your old shower or bathtub with their modern showers or baths in just one day because it's all part of their, their plan, their scheduling plan. First, they send out an expert, a home remodeling design consultant, and they'll send them out mornings, afternoons, evening, weekends, constantly until you open the door. Now, whenever you want them, they'll be there. Oh, yes. And together with them, you will design and build Basically, in your in your dreams, your dream shower or bath, just the way you want it. They've got the designs, the laser etched stuff, built-in seats. You know, I've got a seat in the corner of my shower, Brian, in the office, in case I get tired walking across it. They've got the shelves, the doors, the windows, magnetic shower heads. Maggie, you can trick this thing out like the daggum space shuttle if you want to. And then a couple of days later, after you design it, the remodeling professionals come in one day bath replace. They will knock your old bathtub or shower. They'll just take that thing right out the back of your house, the whole wall and everything. Be out in the backyard and they'll fix it up nice for you and it'll be ready for dinner. And I still think that it's very rude if you don't invite the professionals, the workers for dinner in your brand new bathroom. You don't have to eat dinner in your bathroom. You can eat at the table, but Serve that, you know, just flop the toilet lid down, put the plate on the toilet lid, give the guy a fucking, he can sit on the edge of the tub and reward him for his hard work. But it'll be ready to use before dinner. And that's in, in case also you're dirty and you want to wash up before you eat. That's always recommended. You have no work in this. As the consumer, you are merely sitting back watching the magic happen by the West Shore Home Professionals. and. They do windows and doors, and you can check out their website, which, of course, is westshorehome.com. You can check that out to see which locations you can request the free window and door remodeling preview. It's quite They actually have the windows and doors come out one at a time to music and walk down a runway so that you can take a look and see which ones you like. At this point, I can't even walk any of these back. It's so ridiculous. Well, folks, it's not ridiculous about the quality dancing and value. Dancing windows and doors. Yeah, no. The, the quality. I didn't say they were dancing. They just walked. They were down the catwalk. They walked <laughs> down the catwalk. <laughs> All right. Right, said Jim. They're, 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 they're just sexy enough for your home. Anyway, yes, folks, you can get a brand new bathroom, shower, 
tub, windows, doors. They, I don't know. They might even branch out into roofs pretty soon. They're making a lot of money off our sponsorship. So, folks, again, if you live in any of the magic regions that you can call West Shore home, if you live in or around Louisville, Lexington, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Pittsburgh, Harrisburg, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Richmond, Salisbury, Virginia Beach, Winston-Salem, Charlotte, Greenville, Asheville, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Charleston, Wilmington, Myrtle Beach, Greenville, New Bern, Columbia, Atlanta, Jacksonville, Orlando, Ocala, Tampa, Birmingham, Huntsville, Montgomery, Oklahoma City, Houston, Dallas, Austin, San Antonio, Phoenix, Denver, Colorado Springs, Salt Lake City, Anaheim, Azusa, and Cucamonga. Go right now to promo dot westshorehome.com slash gym promo dot westshorehome.com slash gym and look at the marvelous array of doors windows baths showers cars boats planes trains i don't know what the fuck all they got on there but go there and put the slash gym on and they'll take good care of you that's right west shore home all right all right what else did you like that beat I gave you behind you? Yeah, I was I was afraid that you were having a stroke and you were trying to signal for help over there. No, that was actually Tony Atlas getting stomped. I thought it would sound interesting. I wanted to see if you went longer than he did getting stomped. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've always been able to last longer than Tony when he's stomped, getting stomped, but nevertheless. So the next part of the AEW program, can you answer this question for me? Why? After what happened at the pay-per-view, would they assign hangnail Adam Page to be interviewed by Renee Moxley Good, his opponent, Plumber Moxley's wife? There have been what? so many awkward Renee Moxley Good promo segments in the last few weeks, mostly with Adam Page, but even a thing with Don Callis, like I told you in the pre-show, where all of a sudden she's talking about her husband. And it just creates this weird, awkward dynamic. And why is it still happening? I don't know. But why? After would... the pay-per-view, after we thought they finished everything, I don't know. Oh, well, boy. Hey. we'll find out, but yeah. But it, why would she want to? I know somebody, well, they're a professional, then they're a signer. No, you dumb shit. It makes business look like fucking shit. If after what they did, they were hitting each other in the head with bricks. They weren't selling it, but they were doing it. Why wouldn't she say, I'm not going to talk to that guy? Why wouldn't he say, fuck that guy and his fucking wife? I'm not talking to her. He's out here again. They're trying to do this. This is apparently, I don't know, WWE wants to do wrestling as a Nickelodeon kids fucking touring show or Yo Gabba Gabba or whatever. And AEW wants to do wrestling for and by socially awkward misfits. And neither production is particularly appealing because of that. But he's out there trying to do this. Oh, I didn't want to be so dark and go to a dark place, a dark phony place. It would have been a dark place if we'd have believed any of it. But since it was so preposterous and stupid, we didn't. But he, I didn't want to go to a dark place, but I've proved now, if you try me, I'll take you to hell. I'll rip off your flesh. I'll choke you until life all but leaves your body. That's an exact quote from Hangnail Page. And that was said... And about as convincing. 
in the most unemotional, unconvincing, nerdy-sounding way possible, like a teenager talking tough on Twitch. And then they have the interplay where he apologizes to Renee for what he did Sunday, but I'm done with Moxley now. That's, thank fucking God is what I said. But as we'll find out, he's a liar. And how many times are we going to see that? We just saw Ricky Starks come out there a couple weeks ago. I'm done with Jericho. I'm moving on. And then he wasn't done with him. I'm done with Moxley. No, you're not. No one's ever done with anything here. No, but I'm, I'm about to be done. But also, who do they think this appeals to? When he's, I don't want to go to this dark place, but I'll rip off your flesh. I'll choke you until life. And he's standing there. A mushed mouth pussy is what he is. We've established he's not a fucking cowboy. This is not Stan Hansen. This is howdy fucking duty. And, and, and he gets his feelings. He had the chance to fight punk. He wouldn't fucking do it. Because the fight with Moxley is fake, where they're not really hitting each other over the head with those bricks. Yeah, he'll, he'll fucking take that one and chew the flesh and eat the blood and drink the bones or whatever, but he could have fucking told Punk, hey, don't talk to me like that if you're mad at something I did. Let's fucking go out here. He chose to decline from that one. Well, again, that's real life as opposed to this. Well, and it's obvious that this is not real life. They make it more and more obvious all the time. Anyway, speaking of real life, something they actually can't control. Another entity on Tony Khan's roster has gotten themselves over with their hard work and their talent and their determination and their matches in every other promotion but his. FTR, despite the rotten, lousy booking and the Bucks ghosting them on that third match where they would have all the belts so they could go play with their friends and not have to do that job and the ridiculous other shit they've been at, which... Cash listed in the promo all the losses that they had had. And and you know they lost all those other companies' belts because the goddamn promise that those other companies were made that the AEW world champions would also have all of their belts. That never came to fruition. So they got everything taken away from them because Tony Khan didn't know how to book them and the EVPs didn't want them booked. But they come out and do an in-ring interview with Tony Schiavone and people are standing up and cheering and chanting for them so loud they say, you got to speak up, Tony, we can't hear you. Because they were missed because they went away. They didn't go away on purpose. Regardless of what they, they went away because what the fuck? How many times can you show up every week and be humiliated and beat down on national television before you finally say, you know what? We'll back up and nurse a few injuries here. They did a great babyface promo. They talked about all they've lost, but somehow they made it into a positive. Because the people, the fans have sympathy for them because of the rotten booking. This on a much, much larger scale is the Midnight Express in Philadelphia in 1990. Or Baltimore. Every time we'd show up in the Northeast, as those towns got smart, and we were always doing the job, and they knew that Herd was fucking with us because of the early newsletters. We were baby faces because they appreciated that they were giving us appreciation for the talent since our own company wasn't. 
everywhere on a mass national scale with everybody being in on it now instead of just 5% of the audience maybe. That's what's happening to FTR. They feel sorry for them because they want to see more of them. They are the best team in wrestling and they've been jacked around by the company they work for. And then they, you know, basically cut the promo where they say, we can't in all good conscience let the guns call themselves the best team in the world and we're back to fix that. And it was a breath of fresh air on this program because not only a good promo to build interest in something we care about in a positive business fashion from grown adult men who got over on talent and finished strong in the promo without being cut off, jumped, or beat down. This was almost like it was a, a different program altogether. Your thoughts on the the imp, almost impossible hill they have to climb of all the green teams they have to work with? We'll see what happens. Good promo. I actually thought uh, Cash did really well here. He did both of them, and and well, we Cash hear Dax. I feel like we hear yeah. Dax talk a lot more in these promos. Cash doesn't yeah. stand out. Cash did really good here. I just, I wish they had somebody to fucking work with. And unfortunately, you know, the Briscoes will not be engaging in any more tag team matches. And from that, who? I mean, the guns, because they have the belts, but and, and the guns can learn from being in the ring with FTR, but who is a great tag team match that they can work with in AEW or Ring of Honor as a tag team? Bennett and Taven? Jeff and Lethal? Can't think of anybody else. Yeah, and I don't know how many people are going to want to see you know Jeff and Lethal anymore. You like, well, I'm, you I'm like not, them more than anyone else wants to well, see I'm them. I'm just right talking now. about a good quality wrestling match. I'm not even talking about any, anything that'll draw Aussie money. Open. Aussie Open, actually. Oh, what? They just showed up randomly for a battle royal for no reason. They can't do a little mini program with FTR. There are no other options. Well, but, but no, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about a good tag team match with a good team where you just have a good match. Is there anyone? I'll give you someone, although it wouldn't work the perfect way because FTR are baby faces. But if you need top flight to learn how to be a tag team, that's who you put them in the ring with. Yeah, but again, do we give up on these guys again as drawing money and just say, well, let's just put them in to fucking teach other teams how to work? They're not going to draw it, money it, if they don't have anyone else in the division. You have to start building up someone else in the division. Yeah, but <laughs> there's difference between training and building. See, the, the, the thing is you get, you always have a situation where you've got a younger team that can benefit by being in the ring with whoever the veterans are in whatever era or roster or whatever. But if you have a great tag team, you either have them working with guys that need training and teaching them something and going over them or working to build a program with a team that's already ready to be in a main event program. You can't do the on-the-job training and get them over to, to be legitimate main eventers all at the same fucking time. Even Flair didn't do that with Sting. Sting had goddamn been working a variety of people for, what, three years at that point. It was just an, uh, you know a three-year overnight success at the Clash of Champions. But you can't do both at the same time. You can either train the young guys and make them look better after you've wrestled them when you beat them and move on to your 
program or you can build work and build it with a, a team for your program, but you can't do both at the same time. Anyway. And by the way, Jane Cargill is 53 and 0. What would they be saying about Wardlow right now if he was 53 and 0? I wonder. We'll get to that in a minute too. I'm I'm going to bring up something that maybe they could have done instead of what they have done. But first we get the Six-man tag team match. Brian, what'd you think of Jericho and Sammy and Garcia against Top Flight and A.R. Fox? I don't want to talk too much about the match, but I uh, was intrigued by the post-match. Well, this was the top of the 9 o'clock hour segment. And they went to the break after three minutes of match at 9.02. So that kind of defeats the purpose of having a top of the fucking 9 o'clock segment. But... this wasn't this was neither star power nor a gripping match that would keep people and then they didn't even keep them to begin with they sent them to break but Hager hit Darius in the back with a bat and then Jericho hit the Judas on him one two three and Hager looked even more ridiculous than ever and whatever the fuck he was wearing and my god what a free ride this fucking guy's got just Anyway, then they all have to talk. Cool Hand Luke starts talking. And that's why I realized they're still in California. And by the way, what is light the beam? There were signs saying light the beam, and he said, everybody's going to light the beam. And then they chanted light the beam. What is the beam, and why does it need lighting? And then Daddy Mac, he yelled some. He sounds like Cindy Lauper, but his voice is not quite as deep but with the New New Jersey accent or whatever. Um, And they say that they're the number one contenders for the six-man tag team title and challenge the House of Black. And then the lights go out, but Kansas music plays. And, you know, I really used to like Kansas. (laughs) They've ruined Kansas for me now. Here come, well, they don't come, they just, they're out there in the entranceway. Kenny and the Buckaroos. And Kenny does his usual douchebag promo voice. And so we've avoided each other and stayed away from your universe or whatever for like three years. But these are our six-man belts, you bastards. No, he actually, that was more exciting than what he did say. He just said, well, they're, you know, they're laying claim to the six-man belts. And then to save it, thank fuck, Have you ever been happy to see Don Fallis before? He runs out and jerks the microphone out of Kenny's hand. People stood up and applauded. No, No, Um, he sucks too. Don't pretend he doesn't suck. Well, no, but there's, there's levels at least he, he's sucking right now because of the, the situation he's in, the people he's surrounded himself with and the way that he's made himself look, but at least he picked up the energy level on the microphone from twinkle toes. And he'd cut the promo on Jericho, knocking him for being the second best wrestler ever from Winnipeg. And third, if he had a few months to get in shape. I don't, I thought Bulldog Bob Brown was from Winnipeg. He's better than Kenny. Anyway, so Jericho challenges them right here, right now. Let's do it. And then the lights go out again. There's that heel fucking lighting guy again. And then this was where they jumped the shark. The House of Black was on the screen. 
and they're in their normal dark room, and they're obviously live because they're referring to what has just been happening. Hey, boys, you don't need to fight. You don't need to argue amongst each other. If you want these, and they held up the six-man belts, and then the lights went out again, and then the lights come back on, and now the House of Black is standing in the aisleway in between the Jericho appreciators in the ring and the fucking buckaroos on the stage, and he finishes his sentence, come get them, in space of 10 seconds. So they... They expose their own business just to, because I don't think anybody believes that they legitimately teleported themselves from that dark room through space to that spot in 10 seconds. So they pre-taped the dark room where they were reacting to shit that wasn't happening because it hadn't happened yet. Just to do a cool spot that a bunch of people who do not have female lips around their dicks on a regular basis would applaud for. And then the lights went out again. And when the lights came back on again, the House of Black was gone. And Jericho was screaming at the floor camera like a maniac because he realized that they were being stood left in the ring like a spare prick at the wedding. And the buckaroos, because they're used to being spare pricks at a wedding, they just fucking wandered off. And this whole thing from entrances to match to the end of promo, and then the poor man's David Copperfield, Chris Angel routine, vanishing in the darkness, was over 20 fucking minutes. Your thoughts? I initially was intrigued, although I think it's ridiculous. You're going to. If you're going to do a run-in or confront someone, you should be able to just do it without music playing, without a big image, all of these things, let alone not doing a run-in or anything, just standing there to do your pose. There's a time and a place for all these things. I was intrigued by the idea. We asked the other day, what does Jericho do next? You know what? Jericho and Guevara and Garcia feuding with the elite. That could be interesting. It'll be nuts. We'll have lots to laugh about and complain about. But I wonder what's going to happen there. And then the spooky <laughs> shit. And it's like, fuck! Like, even House of Black. If House of Black was exactly who they are, minus smoke and teleporting, I'd probably like them a whole lot better. But as soon as they do this shit, as soon as they show that they have magical powers, that takes me completely out of it. They're doing this match in Winnipeg. Three-way, six-person, well, I guess not well, six, three-way trios, three-way match. There's three, yes, there's nine of them. Nine of them in Winnipeg. You don't think he's going to hotshot this belt in Winnipeg, do you, considering you have Kenny and you have Jericho? Well, again, here's the problem. It might be interesting with there's three of Jericho's guys and there's three of the House of Black and there's three of the Buckaroos. So now that we know that they all have a common goal of the six-man tag team title, then, yeah, if they got into a program, well, it might be interesting. But now that we know they're going to have the three-way match next week, so they're either, they're either doing a seven-day program 
or they're doing as Tony usually does the program in reverse order and having the blow off match first to where that each succeeding match will have less interest than the previous one did, which is Tony's normal pattern. Even if you were going to have these teams mad at each other and work toward each other, you don't do the three way as the first fucking match. It's is it you're an imbecile. Speaking of the imbecile, he did his own announcement this week, and he he almost got through it without looking like he'd fucking snorted half a Peru before he came out. So he announces that Pockets wants Jeff Jarrett next week. So we've just seen the final defense of the A&P title, and next week, for the very good reason that we want to support the release of Shazam the movie, we're going to change the title of or the name of the A&P title to the international title. Level up. We're going to level up. We're going to level up the t- what is that like is that the subtitle of Shazam? Is it Shazam level up? Well, it's video oh, game talk. It's in video games you level up. Seriously? Yes. I thought he just made some shit. We're going to level up the title. I thought, what the fuck? It's on the level or level. If that was the subtitle of the movie or what the fuck? I thought he just made some shit up, but that's a video game term. So he, what is leveling up in a video game? Making everything even again or? You go to the next level. You get more power, more whatever. You went from level four to level five and five is better than four. You could do more. Depends on the game. I answered nothing, but I hope you enjoyed my answer. Oh, my God. So now, well, this title that meant nothing before and represented nobody when it was the All-Atlantic title, now we'll just make it the international title so it represents even more phony fucking area that nobody cares about. And we're going to do that because we see it done in video games. Well, no, he's using a term that comes originally from... Or video what, games, I don't know what the fuck. They, he made up a title and now he's changed the fucking name of it. And they again, then they went to clips of the movie Shazam and AEW wrestlers interspersed. In what way do they have anything to do with young Billy Batson? Why did Tony have to make this announcement himself? I At don't this know. point now, he... Teased a big announcement that was a major letdown to just about everyone a few weeks ago. Now it's another one. Now he's made it so that the next time Tony Khan makes an announcement, are you going to shrug or are you going to pay attention? That's what he's done because now he's just hot-shotting himself on TV. Well, he made an announcement that his favorite wrestler is going to get an even bigger fake title in a match next week and pitch to clips of his wrestlers interspersed with a new movie for no reason. Yeah, why don't you just name it the Shazam Championship then? If you're doing it <laughs> well, in yeah. honor of the movie, name it the Shazam Championship as opposed to renaming it because I guess this is his way, this has to be his way of admitting without saying it, yeah, it shouldn't have been called the All-Atlantic Championship considering some of the flags on the belt, considering where I want it defended, all of these things. He picked the wrong ocean. It's a mess, though. I mean, when I saw that, that's when I couldn't believe the show. He didn't blink. He just stared at the camera, and he didn't know how to end what he was saying. 
and it was so awkward. He got stuck in a loop at the end where he said the same thing about three times because he didn't know exactly where to put the period. Sh- he shouldn't be doing this. This should be Tony Schiavone <sighs> making official announcements on AEW's behalf. Unless it's something big like, hey, everyone, we've signed Hulk Hogan. Then it shouldn't be Tony Khan making <laughs> any more announcements on camera. Well, the next on camera was, again, you you go from completely ridiculous to every once in a while, an amazing ex- display of the art of whatever wrestling is that we're displaying, verbal or physical or whatever. In this case, Brian Danielson, in the back after the Iron Man match from the pay-per-view, still bleeding, still a sitting down, tired out, broke down, talking about the injuries and the effects of the match and that he figured he was putting himself before his family when he couldn't feel his legs, he was crying, and he ends up with time for me to go home. This was fucking incredible. He made you feel it and believe it. And... You know, and, and after that match, you could see in the, the highlights and the B-roll and everything helped, but, you know, that, again, he's got a couple of guys. He's got Danielson. He's got MJF. He had Punk. He's got FTR. That either verbally or physically or both through their performances and the way they structure their shit can take even these batshit, goofy little group of fans that he's got that likes the indie-rific shit, they still respond to the professional shit, and other people might be interested in it if they saw it. And if it wasn't cluttered up amidst all this indie outlaw gaga that they're so wrapped up in that that's all that most of his roster has known or can produce and it ain't getting them nowhere and it's been three years and he's had time after time that either the homegrown guy Wardlow or somebody will get over or they want to they really want Hater to turn on Baker or and we, I, we can't even really use Sammy Guevara as an example anymore because he sabotaged himself, letting people know that he was really a dick. But they wander into these every once in a while, and then they drop the ball on all of them. So Danielson was that great heel at one point. Now he's what a sympathetic baby face. But if it's time for him to go home, will we remember by the time he comes back that we really felt bad for him. But I love this promo, and it was like a minute and a half. It's the best part of the show. Great promo, and this goes to the kind of product we're always preaching for, something that's serious, that doesn't insult the audience, something that makes you want more. This is what wrestling could be in 2023. Well, guess what they made it next? <laughs> Moxley and Claudio with Useless in the corner against the Dork Order, Little Brutus and his partner, Hudat. Because I can never remember his fucking name, but I've never made up a name for him, I think. So he, from now on, he's Hudat. And, of course, they rang the bell, and Moxley and Claudio jumped him, and Moxley threw his guy to the floor and took off after him. He was lynched three days before this television program. 
by a supposed grown adult cowboy with a fucking logging chain. He's fine. He's doing good. No lingering ill effects. Just a flesh wound. And this thing went through a break, and at this point they've made me not want to see Claudio now, who I was so looking forward to when he came to this company. But now hes he never speaks, he never has a single match, he's joined at the hip with Moxley and Useless, and who gives a shit? And now they've completely switched heels, so Moxley choked out Houdat, and then put it on him again after the bell and wouldn't break it, and... Little Brutus tries to stop, and Claudio gut-wrenches him and just throws him over the top like a sack of shit. That was great. Here comes Fat Uno. Every time he runs down the ramp, his tits almost black both his eyes. And basically, the BBC beats up all the dorks, and then here comes Paige. And he runs through the ring and yelling, and I, it was awkward, and then he just turned around and nailed Claudio. And then all three, Moxley and Claudio and Useless, jumped him. And they sent the referees and they had the chaos and the bell was ringing. In, in the, they had everything in this beatdown. They had everything but talent. At least they were doing the other things that we have suggested. But So now we've got all of them beat up fucking... We've again Paige and the dorks against the BBC. More? You, you, you haven't learned that the reason why Adam Page has been a complete and utter flop, besides the fact that he has no personality, is because you paired him with job guys to begin with. Uh, you haven't figured out that useless is now exactly that. He's about as useless as set of tits on a boar hog. And, and now we're going to see more of this? Help me, Brian. I can't help you. <laughs> John Moxley just won wrestler of the year from the observer. He just got five stars in the observer for the Adam page I, match. I know. Yeah. The, the Texas death match that was a last man standing match. That was a, the example of everything not to do and how to be completely unprofessional in wrestling. Uncle Dave gave it five stars. Moxley's like the champion of the ninny wrestling fan. He's their domain guy. But the people like me, he's the worst wrestler in the world. His matches are terrible. Sold nothing from the match the other day. I wasn't the biggest Claudio fan. Not that I had anything against him, but he was just, to me, like a middle-of-the-road kind of guy. Don't care about him now. Yuta trying to make a tough face or an angry face or a mad face, whatever he's doing. That doesn't work for me. And then who are they working with? The Dark Order. And then it hit me during this. Fuck, we used to complain about everyone needing a faction. Now everyone is in a trios team. Every single person on this show has two other people with them at all times. This isn't good. I don't know who wants to see more. Paige and Moxley ended fine. It's over. I mean, that was it. That was the big ending. After everything that happened, choked them out. Now they're continuing it. It goes on for no reason. Terrible. The show's booked terrible. This was terrible. Moxley's terrible. I don't want to see any of this. It's just terrible. It's a tub. Well, speaking of terrible, um, but I said I was going to try to help some people. I don't know. It may be too late for these particular people, but maybe, maybe somebody's coming down the pipeline that could benefit from this information. The main event was for the TNT title, Powerhouse Hobbs against Wardlow 
Falls count anywhere, no DQ, no rules, lazy booking. <sighs> They're both green. We've talked about this. And this handicaps them even further and increases the injury risk. They're never going to learn when you have them doing nothing but garbage matches. And again, yeah, Hobbs has been there for three years. But let's just say that, now let's go crazy. Let's say six months ago, they suddenly decided, oh my God, we've got this fucking guy. Looks like a million dollars. Still in his early 30s. Obviously motivated to be better. Great backstory. Let's use him, right? Is it a stretch to think that if you have a wrestling company, regardless of what kind of wrestling you like, if you have a wrestling company and you got a guy like Hobbs on the roster, the Hobbs of six months ago, you would say, yeah, let's try to develop him, wouldn't you? Is that controversial? No, I don't think it's controversial. Okay. And Wardlow. You've got a guy like Wardlow that already had gotten over by six months ago to a, a, a big level. People were loving the Powerbomb Symphony and loving his explosiveness. It was being analogies or similarities were being drawn to Goldberg. He, right? was, the most the over, he was the most over babyface in the company for a time. Okay. So it's not unreasonable to think with the people screaming for this guy that even though he's green and he's older than he looks, that we should probably try to spend some time and effort in developing him, right? That's not controversy. Not at all. Okay. Then now, six months later, instead of doing what they've just done to each of these guys, instead of Wardlow having a goddamn long-running program with a fake lawyer and the security, and then somehow Samoa Joe becoming his tag team partner for six weeks so that he could turn heel on him and cut his fucking hair off and emasculate him. Meanwhile, Hobbs is mad for a variety of reasons that we're not completely sure of all of them at both of these fucking guys, and now they're just beating each other up each week on television. What if instead you had said, okay, I've got Hobbs and I've got Wardlow, and it's six months ago. So I'm going to give them both the same agent, the same whatever the agent, producer, whatever they're calling these days, one of the veterans that they have supposedly agenting, producing, setting up these matches. I've, I've seen Pat Buck on camera. I've seen Jerry Lynn on camera. I've said, who else have I seen? B.J. Whitmer. Ace Steele. Uh, oh, well... <laughs> Ace Steel ain't there no more, unfortunately. Point being, some I, of those names that I mentioned, I don't know their whole roster, but I would pick Jerry Lynn because he got 35 years of experience. And Jerry Lynn was a brilliant underdog, kind of babyface, smaller guy, fight from underneath, blah, blah, blah. He would know how a big guy works. So you give Jerry Lynn, Hobbs, and Wardlow to teach them how big men work. You would teach Hobbs the aggression and how to stay on guys and how to make all of your shit look good. I will illustrate here in a second with some things that he's doing, that he's taking shortcuts. You would 
with Wardlow as a baby, Hobbs would be a heel, obviously. So you're teaching him aggression and staying on guys, but how to work with a guy to his level. In other words, if you're with a job guy, you give him almost nothing. If you're with a middle-level guy, you give him a little something. If you're with a top guy, you give them the most. Psychology things. You would work on vignettes like they started doing. Did one. You made the monster. Him working out. He saw his brother murdered in front of him. He's, maybe he's antisocial. Let's flesh that out. You would have that producer on, in charge of his vignettes, his matches, and his training and you would put this guy on tv twice a month once every three weeks for six months getting wins in four to five minutes convincingly with his finish and on weeks he wasn't on television you might have 45 seconds to a minute of him speaking he's not in a program he doesn't need to be because he's ha establishing his presence in the company and talking about what he wants to achieve while he's beating people. With Wardlow, it's different, but still the same concept. He's a babyface. His producer would teach him not to do these flips and these outrageous athletic movements that he does against job guys, or for no reason or out of nowhere. You would build to it. It would be done in pay-per-view matches or in bigger matches or against more important opponents or just every once in a while. But more important, you would concentrate on him going on the win streak with the Powerbomb Symphony. Every two or three weeks for six months, he would be on television winning in a minute with the Powerbomb Symphony over everybody that's put in front of him. If he shouldn't beat him in a minute, they ain't put in front of him. But he's, at the same time, training mentally and psychologically on when to do his big athletic moves and when just to be a dominant physical beast. And he's the one who gets pockets his win streak, or maybe Jane Cargill's win streak. Because Goldberg was 50-something and zero before they even started fucking gimmicking it and killing that off because people knew it wasn't real. So then you're talking about, my God, Everybody wants to see Wardlow against bigger and better competition. We can't find opponents for Wardlow. Nobody wants to go in there and take a chance on, you know, being a part of the Powerbomb Symphony. He's, he's not an established name, ladies and gentlemen, so the champions and the veterans, they don't want to get in there and be beat by a relative newcomer unknown. So we're having a hard time getting people in the ring with this motherfucker. That's the way you sell that. And then, eventually, both of them getting over. One's a face and one's a heel. And they neither one have a title belt because neither one needs it. And you do that and you make sure that in their training, they're understanding that this is the way to get them over. But then they are training to have competitive matches where they can still take care of themselves and their personas and their gimmick. And then, when it's finally time, six months later, then you have the irresistible force and the immovable object. One of them ends up with a title belt that the other one wants, and then they've never touched. They've never even been in the same universe until it's time. And then you have them work out behind the scenes together for a week or two before their first 
match or first long or substantive physical confrontation so that they know exactly what they're going to do when to make the fucking point. And then you might have a program. Or you can do this. You can book the fucking first match to be for the title and make it street fight, no DQ, no time limit, falls count anywhere, anything goes, no rules. And they started the match in the parking garage where they were trying to slam each other's heads in the car doors. And Hobbs took a backdrop through a windshield, legitimately, before the bell even rang. And then they rang the bell right before a vertical suplex on a fucking car hood. And they do 90 seconds of action in the parking garage, and the brake spot is Wardlow after a backdrop through a windshield and a suplex on a car hood. Wardlow hits Hobbs with a plastic drink pallet and they go to the break and they made these guys street fight through the break in the back of the building in a picture in picture box. that's only 18 inches diagonal on my 72 inch screen and no audio. So for most people watching a television, in a little box with the audio of, oh, get your fucking condoms and goddamn anal lube today at Walgreens. And when they come back to the full program, they're doing the deal where they hold each other lightly and power walk through the arena to get to the ring, like Bruiser Brody and Abdullah in Japan in 88. They'll just walk, they'll just lay hands on each other and walk through the crowd. And both of them immediately get in the fucking ring and no-sell each other's spine busters. Well, that was fucking brilliant. What did you, either one of you, hope to accomplish by that? And who was the goddamn agent? Maybe you didn't tell him you were going to do it. I don't know. But that's brilliant to, to not sell either guy's spine buster. It doesn't make you look big and bad. It makes the other guy look fucking shitty. Both of you. Because anything that you, either one of you, the way you look, do to the other guy, he should register, he should sell, it should hurt. I don't care how big he is. We're talking about fucking trains colliding here. There's going to be some fucking damage. And then they do the one-two in the ring, and Wardlow's punches are shit. And their trade was blah. It needs to be big. They were trading like lightweights. It was too fast. There was no registering and selling. There was no body language. You draw back and you swing from the fences and you swing for the fences. Bam! And the other guy fucking registers it and rocks back and comes back from downtown. Bam! Oh, shit. Anything these guys do needs to be bigger, not the same or smaller. And at that point, the fans, there was no pop. When, when Wardlow, also, the F-10, don't rip off the name of your finish, especially if you're a babyface from the biggest goddamn star in the business, because then that just calls attention to him. Wardlow hits his F-10 and gets a two count, and there's no pop. Because everybody knew that's not the finish. They didn't sell a spine buster or whatever the fuck. And then the fans started chanting, we want tables. So there's two supposed top stars in the ring, and the fans are chanting for the furniture. 
Because all they're looking at is a stunt show. This was not made to mean anything. It was a disservice to these guys. And these guys are both so green, they may not even realize that this booking is goddamn rotten and abysmal. And that they don't know what they're doing. And nobody's apparently telling them. If they are telling them and nobody's listening. So then Hobbs... Wardlow goes to powerbomb him. And Hobbs slips out by going over Wardlow's back. But instead of landing on his feet, he stumbles and goes down to his knees because he's 300 fucking pounds. And he awkwardly went into the spot they were trying. They should have worked the whole match on can Wardlow get Hobbs up to powerbomb him. Because it's not just the weight, it's weight that's fighting back. And instead... Not only did they establish they can spine buster each other with no problem and neither one's going to fucking be hurt by it, but then Wardlow establishes that he can pick Hobbs up for the powerbomb anytime he wants, but Hobbs, doing a Rey Mysterio spot, goes over his back and slips down to his feet and falls and looks like a stumble bump because they shouldn't have been doing that to begin with. That's for 180-pound people. And then Hobbs... The spot was that Hobbs was going to shove Wardlow off into the ropes, just a double-hand shove, and he caught him coming off with a spine buster again. A, why it didn't phase him before, and B, you're going to drop behind the guy, turn around, do a double-handed shove. This other 300-pound guy is going to fly backwards 10 feet, come back off the ropes and into your spine buster because he's out of control from that. What the fuck? These guys need to be in goddamn class. And he, then he fucking followed the second spine buster up that, by the way, they sold that one. Wardlow sold that one. And then he grabbed Wardlow's leg and rolled him over and pushed him to the ropes again, double hand shove and get him a second spine buster. It's fucking, it's not even laziness. He's not trying to be lazy. It's just lost opportunity. Hobbs, you're wasting the idea. Don't just lackadaisically push him backwards into the ropes. If you're going to do, and if you're going to do two spine busters, especially after a motherfucker didn't sell your first one, do three in a row, the three amigos. And if you're going to do a series, make it count. You either shoot him off to the ropes hard with all you've got, or you reverse an arm whip and you shoot him off hard and you catch him and you plant him with a spine buster, and then you pop up and grab that leg and roll him up by the leg and grab the fucking left arm and shoot him off hard from the middle of the ring. Don't back him up. Keep him going. He's off balance. And you hit him with a second one. Boom. And he lands and he turns over on his hands and knees and he's holding his ribs, and there you can hook him in a front face lock and pull him up to his feet and shoot him again by his arm hard, but five or six feet to the ropes where you don't even have to let go of him and jerk him back into your fucking bear hug and hit a third spine buster. Boom! And then you go for the fucking cover, hook the one leg, one, two, and he either kicks out, if he's goddamn still should be in that good a condition, or he gets his leg on the fucking ropes and breaks the fucking count, but that's explosiveness and aggression and physicality that you could have uncorked and done the same thing you just did by wandering through it and being awkward and shoving guys around that they shouldn't go where you're fucking shoving them. 
And then they went to the floor. And Hobbs pulls a table out. And while he's setting it up and finding the table, setting it up and putting it in the right place, he lets Wardlow recover for no apparent reason. Because he could have just kept on the fucking guy that he was beating up, but instead he let him go so he could go find a table. Because the people are chanting for furniture anyway. Furniture is the most important talent on the roster. And then he puts Hobbs, um, or no, I'm sorry, Wardlow obviously recovers and puts Hobbs on the table that Hobbs just set up and got on the top rope and did a swanton and swantoned Hobbs through the table, off the top rope, through to the floor for a two count. Jesus, it looked great. It looked great. So why do it and then go two more minutes and lose? You moron. So it wasn't the finish or it wasn't the thing that foiled the baby face. It was just a spot. High injury risk and nobody will give a shit because it didn't play a part in the decision of the match. So then Wardlow power bombs Hobbs on the floor and both of them are down for a while, and then they get up and go up to the stage, and Wardlow's going to try to powerbomb Hobbs off the stage. By the way, Wardlow the babyface. And suddenly, QT Marshall shows up and hits Wardlow in the back with a chair, and Wardlow no-sells it, turns around and grabs him by the goozle pipe, and then QT kicks Wardlow in the balls, and down he drops <laughs> And QT has a chair, and Wardlow's there holding his nuts, looking at him, and he fucking hits him, whacks him with the chair. And then I think he hit him a second time. And then QT goes over and picks Hobbs up, because now Hobbs is just a piece of shit laying around. Picks him up, and then thanks to QT, they both powerbomb Wardlow off the stage into the crash pad pit. Which, by the way, they've changed their structure. It didn't go poof. It was covered up with balsa wood instead of a sheet, and I don't think it was air-inflated. I believe they moved up styrofoam, if I had to guess. And then Wardlow was counted down for the 10 count in a Falls Count Anywhere match, and Hobbs is the new champion because of QT Marshall, who has been presented as a feckless, ineffectual comedy job figure for the entire run of the promotion and suddenly comes out there and single-handedly helps his little buddy, Powerhouse Hobbs, beat the big bad Wardlow for the belt. This was the worst way possible to put the belt on Hobbs or to have Hobbs fucking win, and you can't tell me that they couldn't have made some, something out of Wardlow missing that goddamn swanton through the table and Hobbs pinning him there and give Wardlow an out instead of just this disgusting heat kind of finish that gets heat on the promotion for its goofiness, and nobody gives a shit about QT, and this is coming from somebody who saw a bright future for him about 15 years ago. And, and Hobbs, it just becomes a fucking flunky. Is, is, this, is he now going to be Hobbs's manager? So they think that that is a, I, I, I don't, 
I honestly don't know how the fuck, unless QT Marshall had pictures or documentation that Tony Khan has been doing business with the Sandinistan terrorists, that this would be allowed to happen. Your thoughts? I mean, there's so much to talk about here. Again, this was a horrible follow-up to the pay-per-view. The pay-per-view was the first positive thing to happen to Wardlow in a while. That's out the window now. He's lost again. Oh, someone cheated to help Hobbs. Yeah, but it was QT Marshall. You said he's been treated like a job figure since the beginning. No, he was also treated like a philanderer for a few weeks, and then (laughs) his wife was on TV. Remember that? That's right. He was a philanthropist or philanderer or philatelist or whatever. But he had the faction. or Not the faction. What were their names? Uh, The the factory. The factory. They were the factory. He had the factory. They tried to do things with Cody and Agogo. That's years ago at this point. Nothing's been going on. We've seen QT do plenty of promos. He's fine for a Mark Sterling. He's not someone should be the mouthpiece for a Will Hobbs or whoever the monster heel that they're trying to do something with. As soon as you have QT as the manager, the monster loses steam. We've seen him on TV. We know who he is. Ward looks like a jerk off. That advice you gave him months ago about calling WWE? 203. No, stop, stop, well, stop, I, stop. I, actually, I, I, can't, I can't give him Laurinaitis' number anymore. But the point is, that isn't even a joke anymore. And I don't even know if they would see him the same way they saw him months ago. Look at the way all this has been handled. This is how this show ended. For no good reason, a street fight. After the TNT champion allegedly had his gear and his belt stolen. There's a brand new belt there ready to go days later. And then a street fight with a bad crash pad. You didn't even talk about how bad it looked. It was, a, it was more obvious to but me. I think, I think balsa wood over styrofoam sounds kind of like a fucking Mickey Mouse operation. I'm sorry I didn't do it justice. It was worse than the Jericho crash pad. I'll put it that way. And there was no high distance to come from. So I don't, I don't know. I think, I think it's worse when they bounce and, and the thing goes poof and they bounce rather than well, when it just, you know, it's obviously I forgot some about type that. of cushioned material. I forgot about the bounce. Yeah. The bouncy house. This was a horrible end to a horrible show. They've treated Wardlow. They booked Wardlow into the ground because Tony doesn't know how to book. They have misused Hobbs for a long time because Tony doesn't know how to book. QT is back on the show. Because Tony likes him, and Tony doesn't know how to book. This show's been falling apart lately because Tony doesn't know how to book. More and more people... But what do you think the real reason for their dire situation is? The real reason for the dire situation is Tony Khan thinks he could book. And Tony Khan thinks he's good at this. Tony Khan thinks he has this. And... I have a tough time believing that anyone who deals with him on a regular basis, and I know a few thinks that he is good at this. He's got the money to do it, but he is showing on a weekly basis that he does not know how to format or how to put together a good wrestling television show. Again, there's a ninny audience that just wants to see their favorites have matches where nothing matters. Did did you say a mini audience or a ninny audience? A ninny audience. They may be a mini (laughs) audience too that wants that kind of wrestling. But if that's what you're catering to, you see what you're going to get. And this was another miserable show. 
Well, how many people watch this miserable program, Brian? This week's AEW show, March 8th, was viewed by 858,000 viewers. Now, that sounds shitty, but that's about 20,000 better than last week, isn't it? That's right. I think last week was 833 or somewhere around there. So what was the the uh, process of elimination? Who Who ran them off the quickest this week? Well, let's go to these quarter-hour breakdowns. These were compiled by Brandon Thurston, WrestleNomics. 8 to 8.15, segment one, Orange Cassidy versus Jay Lethal with picture and picture, 963,000 viewers. So something's going on. They're not even starting over a million anymore. Are the big bangers letting us down, or have people kind of realized that it's going to go downhill quick these days and just skipping it entirely? What is it, a month straight? They started the show with Orange Cassidy? Yeah. Well, I just answered my own question, didn't I? Okay, go ahead. You've seen the same thing from him for a month straight. Segment two, 8.15 to 8.30. The last four minutes of Orange Cassidy versus Jay Lethal. The post-match with Jeff Jarrett and the best friends. The Powerhouse Hobbs backstage promo, as well as Ricky Starks' live promo with Juice Robinson running in. 962,000 viewers. <laughs> so they they lost a thousand. Son of a bitch. Maybe Tony's uh, uh, sent out people to fucking snatch the remote controls away from the uh, the people's hands. So the ones that started, they were invested in old fucking dipshit. And let's see if they stuck around from there. Segment three. 8.30 to 8.45 p.m., Ruby Soho's live promo, as well as Ruby Soho versus Sky Blue with picture-in-picture, picture. the post-match angle with Soraya, Tony Storm, Spray Paint, and Willow Nightingale, as well as Adam Page's backstage promo with Renee Moxley Good. Good lord, a lot of busy 15 minutes. 957,000 viewers. Okay, and they're only down another 5,000. Where does the cliff come? Because this ain't adding up to be good for the last couple of segments. Segment 4, 8.45 to 9 p.m. MJF's backstage promo, FTR's live promo, Jade Cargill's backstage promo, and the beginning of AR Fox and Top Flight versus the Jericho Appreciation Society. 884,000 viewers. Ooh, all right. That's uh, 60, 67. They lost 75,000 people or thereabouts going into the 9 o'clock hour. Segment 5, 9 p.m. to 9.15 p.m. The continuation of AR Fox and Top Flight versus the Jericho Appreciation Society with picture and, and picture. And remember, they went to break like two minutes after the top of the hour as well as the post-match angle with the Elite and the House of Black, 838,000 viewers. Good. Okay, so they lost another 46,000 there. So between the 830 to 845 and 9 o'clock to 915 time slot, they've lost 120,000 people. Segment 6, 915 to 930 p.m., Tony Khan's backstage announcement, Brian Danielson's promo, 
and the beginning of the Dark Order versus the Blackpool Combat Club, 778,000 viewers. Jesus. All right. There, I can't do math this big. Wait a minute. 22. <laughs> there is another 60,000 people they lost. So they are now down from the quarter three to quarter six, 180,000 people. Go ahead. Quarter seven. 9.30 to 9.45, the Dark Order versus the Blackpool Combat Club continued with picture-in-picture, picture, as well as the post-match angle with Adam Page, the acclaimed and Jericho Appreciation Society backstage angle, 728,000 viewers. Ouch. And I, I must have zipped through some of that, too, but so did 50,000 other people. We are now, from the start of the program, down 135, no, 200, 235,000 people from the start of the program. Hey, you bring up the acclaim. I had to mention this to you. I was watching CBS News the other day in the morning. They had a commercial for PC Richard. You know PC Richard? It's an electronics chain up here in the Northeast. I think I've seen billboards when I've been up that way. They have a commercial for it. Who's in the middle of the commercial as like one of the happy salespeople or happy PC Richard people? Anthony Bowens. <laughs> he must have filmed this a while back, but all of a sudden I'm watching, like, is that Anthony Bowens? And then it came on again later. I was like, that is Anthony Bowens. And I looked it up. It was Anthony Bowens. Did he really work there or was he just in the commercial? I think he was just an actor and they needed people to be smiling, happy, nice PC Richards employees. And they found him and then he won the tag team titles. <laughs> so but let's get back to the ratings. The final quarter hour, 945 to 10 p.m. Wardlow versus Powerhouse Hobbs falls count anywhere for the TNT Championship. 756,000 viewers. So they managed to get back 28,000 to see Hobbs and Wardlow, and they had to see what they saw. And it, it hurt both guys. It hurt both guys. You and the key demo, for the record, the key demo... I know people, some people hate hearing about it, but it's a reality. It's a real thing. They began at 385. They peaked early in the show at 436. By the end of it, it was at 315. That's below the usual trend line for where that is even. <sighs> well, anyway, um, so they managed in an hour and basically in an hour and 30 minutes, they ran off 200 and... 35,000 people, and for the last 15 minutes, managed to get 28,000 of them back. Glory, hallelujah. Can a booker who's completely lost hear voices that are saying things to improve his product, or are they convinced that they've got it? From your experience, I mean, you were around, I mean, you've always pointed out the positives of Dusty's stuff, even when people point out negatives like 88. But when a booker, yeah, but, when a booker well, actually, doesn't actually, have late, it. Late 87 was worse than early 88. Late 87 and first three months of 88 were not good. But still, I've never been around. Number one, I've never been around a booker who had never booked before and had never been in the wrestling business. There never has been a booker who started booking when he had never, ever been in the wrestling business in any capacity before. And I've never been around a situation where anybody would have been able to do this for so long without somebody firing them. Because a Crockett would have fired Dusty if it had got that bad. 
I've never, I mean, I know I've, I've heard stories of when territories fell apart, Buck Robley was on the shit or, you know, things just weren't happening and, and, you know, it was a mess and the territory was soon to go out of business. I've never been involved in a situation like that where the booker just completely lost track of what the fuck, or they couldn't get any talent. But, you know, there's never been a situation where any booker, writer, creative team, or whatever was not at risk of getting fired if they didn't do the right thing or decent business or kept doing stupid shit or whatever. And this is the case now because Tony's also the boss. Even Vince wasn't even the only, Vince was never the booker booker. Pat Patterson was the booker and Vince had creative teams. He was the final say, but he wasn't doing it all himself. And he could be reasoned with in some instances. This is a guy who, if he does listen to anybody, it's for the circle that he will listen to, to hear their self-indulgent ideas pitched that, you know, which is doesn't fit the rest of the program anyway. And is usually the shits too. The only ones ever really come in and called his own shots for any length of time and it all been good was punk. So this is a situation that's never happened before in wrestling at this scale. You've had indie promoters that would promote indie shows that insisted on doing their booking and wrestling and being their own champion and popping the corn and whatever the fuck. And it didn't make any difference because nobody knew they were there. But this is goddamn out in front of everybody. And it needs, it needs to be put in a plain brown wrapper. Anyway. Well, the big question, Brian, is what in the world is going on over at the Wrestling News and Arcadian Vanguard this fine week? Another amazing action-packed week on the Arcadian Vanguard Podcast Network. Get information about all the shows on Twitter at Super Podcasts or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Arcadian Vanguard. A few notes. This week's episode of Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon, the guest, former WWE artist or illustrator, I guess artist and illustrator, Tom Fleming, the man who designed many of the costumes, many of the outfits, many of the images that you saw for the pay-per-views advertising them of the different wrestlers. Hear him today, suawpod.com, or look for Shut Up and Wrestle with Brian Solomon wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Also this week, the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast returns as Mike Sempervivi begins The Road to Greensboro. Check that out today, midatlanticpod.com, or look for the Mid-Atlantic Championship Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Of course, The Wrestling News, subscribe today at thewrestlingnews.com, or wherever you find your favorite podcast, free daily wrestling news update, no opinion, no conjecture. Just a straight wrestling news. Get it for free today. Once again, directly from the wrestlingnews.com, wherever you find your favorite podcast, just like the 605 Super Podcast, the membership! I think that's like the orange Cassidy of your sounds. You've done it too many times. We need some new stuff. Go through the archives today at 605pod.com. We need new stuff. New shows coming soon. 605pod.com, available wherever you find your favorite podcasts, The Mothership.
Well, speaking of needing new stuff, the WWE does bad. They've got a bit of it. We're going to talk about SmackDown in a second. Won't take long for the good stuff. But as usual with the WWE, they're making more news and more people are talking about what's going on in the office, the corporate leadership behind the scenes or whatever. And this topic came up a couple of days ago. It was reported in the news. Actually, this article was sent to me first by a listener, Stacy from downstairs, who sent this off CNBC.com, and then other people have followed since then. The WWE talking with state gambling regulators to legalize betting on high-profile matches. Oh, my God, so much is wrong with this. I don't even know where to start. But let's start with some of the article. Brian, have you read this? Well, well we, can, we can read it to the people anyway. I know you've kept up with some of it. CNBC, that's where your man Farber works, right? That's where David Faber works. And I actually saw this covered on the air, and then I also read the article, so I'm pretty uh, up to date with at least their coverage of it. Well, folks, it says WWE is working with the accounting firm EY. I've wondered what Eric Young was doing these days. To secure scripted match results in hopes it will convince regulators there's no chance of results leaking to the public, said the people, the people, who asked not to be named because the discussions are private. Accounting firms PWC and EY, also known as Ernst & Young, have historically worked with award shows, including the Academy Awards and the Emmys, to keep results a secret. And I think they also worked with The Tonight Show for the Karnak, the Magnificent Spots, right? When they had the answers in Funk and Wagnall's uh, porch in a mayonnaise jar. Anyway, uh, again, WWE executives have cited the Oscars betting as a template to convince regulators gambling on scripted matches is safe. And still, while it says, while Academy Awards voting results are known by a select few before they're announced publicly, they aren't scripted by writers. Even if regulators allow gambling, betting companies would have to decide if they're willing to place odds on WWE matches, even if it's legalized. And apparently, they've already applied in Indiana. This was a deal on the news here, because we're right across the river, but they're targeting Michigan, Colorado, and Indiana as potential states to pursue legalization. And uh, the, the bottom line of this whole thing is, it says, if WWE succeeds in its bid to legalize gambling on matches, it could open the door for legalized betting on other guarded, secret scripted events, such as future character deaths in TV series. And it would alter how matches are produced and how storylines are created. WWE executives have proposed that scripted results of matches be locked in months ahead of time. The wrestlers themselves wouldn't know whether they were winning or losing until shortly before a match takes place. For example, the WWE could lock the results of WrestleMania's main event months ahead of time based on a scripted storyline that hinged to the winner of January's Royal Rumble, betting on the match could then take place between the end of the Royal Rumble and up to days or even hours before WrestleMania when the wrestlers and others in the show's production would learn the results. 
What the fuck? For one thing, how big is that circle of trust, Brian Last? Because before, if it was just Vince, well, then I'd say that there's a pretty good possibility that you could keep that a secret because half the time he would change his mind. Or when he'd get feedback from somebody whining, well, I don't want to do the job. Or like when they just had Brock Lesnar kick one straight through the uprights so he wouldn't, he would get disqualified and wouldn't win so he wouldn't be the one to work with Bray Wyatt. I don't think that one was planned out way in advance. What about, we just talked about the Rivals episode with Cena and Rock. When they decided to do that, you know, that deal was already in place. We're going to promote the first match for a year. You're going to win the first one, Rock. You're going to win the second one, Cena. And we're not going to do a third, and that way it's still even. That's the If you get a big money match in wrestling, whether it's the territory days or now, it requires the cooperation and willingness of the participants. When it, how many? It's become a rib. Would Hulk Hogan would say that don't work for me, brother? What happens if there's an injury and you have to call an audible, or if something happens? The wrestler gets hit in the head with a coke bottle, falls to the ground, and the guy <laughs> has to pin him. You know, he's just well, right but, there. But besides that, I mean, it's it's wrong from number one, and, and we can talk about any of these you want to talk about in whatever order. But it's not wrong from number one. The circle of trust has to be bigger than just one or two people, and then especially if it's the important matches and if somebody's crazy enough to bet a large amount of money, then you could literally be crooked and make a fucking fortune in a short period of time without anybody even knowing about it. And then if they caught you, well, what the fuck? You're gone to live in Bolivia. So how many people are going to... And secondly, to not tell the talent, that was a training exercise I did in OVW where we'd have the fans literally legitimately vote Amongst six baby faces and six heels, what matches do you want to see? And I would tell, we'd count them up right before the show started. This was at a church gym show with 150 votes. And we would make the matches based on that. And I would send the match over to the other locker room because the guys weren't together. Baby face and heels. And I'd say, okay, first match is Brian versus Jim. Brian over. Give me eight minutes. You do that for practice. You don't do that in the biggest promotion in the world. The guys have to know. It's and, and, and as I said, in most eras of wrestling, going back to the fucking 20s and 30s, the main event wrestler's input and agreement in the match and, and matches, how they're going to go, what the finishes are going to be to lead to a rematch, whatever, that's crucial. You can't not tell the main event at WrestleMania who's going to win three hours before they go in the ring. Fucking morons. This is more example of the Nick Khan influence or the corporate world influence. They think that they can just do anything and that it's just wrestling and that, you know, the guys follow instructions. Sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. And just because they follow more instructions now than they've followed ever before in the history of wrestling doesn't mean that you're not going to have some guy say, you know what? No, 
I'm not doing a fucking job right now. It makes no fucking sense. And they'd probably be right. You're talking about all the reasons it wouldn't work. Let's just say they did it. Let's talk about how it would negatively impact professional wrestling booking going forward. Well, it would be insane because, okay, for people coming up with the ideas, then are those ideas going to be accepted or are they going to be declined or are they going to be taken under advisement and you never tell the writer whether you're going to do it or not? But then if you start doing it, he's going to kind of recognize it. He's going, well, maybe they're, maybe they are going to do what I asked them to do or suggested they do or whatever the, it's, it's idiocy. Because just because now they've created an atmosphere where before in the territory days, if a match was booked, three people or four people might know the result, the people involved in it, the booker and the promoter. Now it's hundreds. It's still the guys have, the guys are the only important ones. The guys and the booker slash matchmaker are the only ones that have to fucking know. The promoter doesn't even really have to know if he trusts his booker and none of the other boys need to know. And, you know, I know some people are going to, oh, well, for television. Well, we've created that. We shot TV for years in wrestling without every member of the crew knowing the finish of the match. So that's just a situation we've created where they think everybody has to know. If you give the crew the proper music cues and you've got a producer in the truck that's telling the director what's going on, you're mostly covered. But the most important people involved that need to know the finishes to know how to work the matches are the wrestlers. How do I fucking know if I'm the heel and I'm going to set up a match with some babyface? How do I know how much to give him or what kind of match to have if I don't know who's going to win? That's ridiculous. So it's not like they, well, I know they do it now because nobody knows any difference, but it's not like you just go out and have the same match you would have with a guy in that building, regardless of what the finish is. Not if you know what you're doing. So it's just, it's, there's, plenty of opportunities for people to misuse information. There's plenty of opportunity for this to completely sabotage the quality of the, whatever quality is left existing of the program and the matches. It's insane, but they're, they're going to, they're going to again, compromise the, the quality of their product to try to make money in this ridiculous method because they think that anybody can be wrestlers and anybody can do this. And the way it's being done now, you're almost correct. But what you aspire to, no, that's not correct. I mean, how many things do you see wrong with it? Well, so they're going state by state. They're trying to get it legalized so you can bet on these predetermined finishes. Yes, each each state has a gaming commission, and if they can you know, uh, get some of them and Indiana and Michigan are not going to be like trying to get Nevada. Um, if they can get some of them, they can start a groundswell of some description. I believe they, they figure. Would that open it up for AEW to allow betting too? I, well, not allow <laughs> betting, I guess for AEW matches to be bet on, right? 
Well, if yeah, WWE but, gets it legalized, then it opens it up for, can you bet yes. on small independent shows? Technically, I think you would be able to, I guess, if anybody was willing or who's even regulating? Was happening. Who's regulating the finishes? Or is it just WWE? That see, that's the thing. But now, but well, now, but here's the thing: if they're applying to the gaming commission, they're they're applying for themselves and not on behalf of all of professional wrestling. So that'll open up a can of peas there. But they're not trying to blaze the trail for everybody in the wrestling business for the love of the game. They just want to soak the suckers for money from their own production. Explain what you see the benefit of this for WWE as being. They're going to make make money on people stupid enough to bet on shit that they've already decided what's going to happen. And the question is, you're not betting on the winner. You're betting on do you know what they're going to do or not? But it would seem like, that A, regardless of how few people know ahead of time who's making a sucker bet and who's making a legitimate bet, there is an opportunity for somebody to make money with information and who can keep their mouth shut in the wrestling business anymore. So who would be in the circle of trust? How would those people be determined? Would it be every match or just the big matches? And then I'm sorry, but if you're trying to tell me that two guys are going to go into the main event at WrestleMania and not know what the finish is till that day, I'm calling bullshit. And the referee. Well, the referee, no, that's in this day and age, the referees will do what they're told. But you're telling me that you're going to walk in and at 4 o'clock on the day of WrestleMania and say, Roman, I think we, you know, we're going to have you drop the title tonight. No, no it wouldn't be that. It wouldn't be that. It was Roman... We haven't told you, but in this envelope, which has been guarded for the last six months, we wrote down the finish. <laughs> and here, it, that's what they should film. Here it is. Here's what we wrote down six months ago. That's what they're saying. Yeah, well, that don't work for me, brother. And that's the thing. It, it, there is always, again, with the modern generation, they just like to do what they're told, except for the Brock. So that's why he draws a lot of money. I haven't worked with Roman Reigns. Don't know where he sits. John Cena, The Rock, Brock, Steve Austin, there would have been negotiations going on months beforehand if they wanted any of those guys to do a job at WrestleMania, and they would be starting to pitch them good reasons why it was the right thing to do and hope that some of those registered. It wouldn't be a deal where the, anybody expected to walk in Austin and Rock WrestleMania, okay, guys... Match goes in the ring two hours. Here's how we want it. Fuck you. If it's close to a group of people that doesn't include the wrestler, is the wrestler allowed to bet on the match? <clears throat> Could a guy bet on himself or yeah. bet on his opponent? Or against himself, yeah. Theoretically, possibly that could happen. And I don't fucking know because the whole thing's crazy. But again, it's insulting to the boys to just assume that if you have gotten to the point where you're a big enough star to be the main event at WrestleMania and that that before that match is ever announced to the public, I'm not talking about the finish as far as, well, so-and-so is going to take a fucking weed whacker and so-and-so is going to have brass knucks and they're going to do this. Now I'm talking about who's winning and is somebody dropping a fall? Those things are fucking known. To the talent, by the talent. Sometimes before they agree to have the goddamn match to begin with. 
and the match that would have more interest is not amongst... Yes, I'm sure Sami Zayn to do whatever he's asked to do. And whoever... That's not the matches that's going to have the most interest. The match that would have the most interest is if Cena was in a main event or The Rock came back or Steve Austin was somehow involved or whatever, and those guys, and if Brock sticks around long enough to do another main event, you're going to have to convince them whoever's losing before you announce the match because you don't know whether they'll go for it or not. Uh, remember I said for, for not, not for regional titles, but for, for world titles, important championships in this business, the guys always knew the date that they were losing them because as a courtesy, if nothing else, even if they had asked out of it, the promoter told, okay, we're going to take the belt from you then in, in New York on the 25th of February, blah, blah, blah. Make sure there's no issues, no problems before they announce things to the public, and that's the way it was done. If you were just the Southern Tag Team Champions, yeah, you walk in money, yeah, we're going to drop the switch the belts tonight. Okay, fine, whatever. But a, a major world champion, any type of legitimate, you know, widely recognized title, you got everybody on the same page first. Do you think this is something they really want, or is this something maybe more to show a potential buyer and the story is they're going to meet with potential buyers for the first time next month for a first round of talks or bids. Is this something just to show, Hey, look at some potential future revenue this company can make. We're already making inroads in Indiana and in other places. <laughs> well, again, it, do the Saudis have a lot of, uh, casinos? Are they on the, because here's the thing, who are they talking to? So in Endeavor doesn't run casinos. They got the UFC, Comcast. And they've already taken themselves out of the bidding. Well, yeah, but I'm just saying NBC, we've talked about all these media companies, all a bunch of companies. To who is betting attractive to? Would that be the casinos seems like a business the Saudis would be involved in. Maybe that's a, a, a clue. And I mean, these shows, I mean, both promotions, actually. How many DraftKings commercials do you see during these shows talking specifically about wrestling themed? I don't know what you would call it. Gambling options. I don't say, well, I, I tune out DraftKings because I, I didn't know whether it was another video game or what the fuck it is. I don't know anything about them. And I tune it out, but it's if it's betting of some description, it's, it's gambling. It's a gambling site, yeah. All right, but are they, are they gambling on AEW? Hold are on. they going to bet Pockets is going to win twenty five in a row? I don't. It just it's the chances for contamination and corruption are high. It will obviously have a detrimental effect on the quality of the main matches and promotion of the matches if the guys are in the dark about what's going on um it's stupid to begin with because they're talking about what con game have you ever heard of that was successful in the history of the world where they talked about it being crooked to start out with so we're going to start taking betting on crooked shit what the f 
I don't get it. Hey, just to wrap this up for the record. So this was from All Out. DraftKings had a sports book pool, free $25,000 AEW All Out main event pool. Pick the correct answers by the start of the featured AEW All Out main event match for a shot to win this guaranteed prize pool. So, I mean, they're already doing some kind of gambling right there. What do you got? What have you got to answer? Doesn't even have the question here. Ah, see, that's where they get you. You have to answer the question, but they never ask it. But it's 25% off that. <laughs> ah, well, we'll find out. You know what I'm betting on? I'm betting on that nobody liked this program they did on March the 10th, Friday night, just hours ago. Um, again, we got the bloodline story and bleh, the bleh line story. And I'm going to zip through this fairly briefly because there's, I don't even have any constructive criticism for this anymore at this point. Like you could always pick out plenty of shit they should have done in AEW, but here they should have just torn a piece of paper up and started again. All these programs look the fucking same. The same thing happens. The same things are said. With, with the exception of the bloodline story, you know, that's why I said they, it's almost like their motivation is let's bore the fuck out of them. Like Johnny Valentine will bore the fuck out of them for a half an hour. So when we do something in the last five minutes, they'll go out of their minds. Uh, they had a, package again nobody does packages like this company the production is incredible uh the turn of jay uso when he came back into the fold the other night and then paul greets both of them in the back coming in in their suv and jay wants to know where roman is paul's telling him how proud he is of him now i want to know if we tell roman reigns i'm here and i'm going to say what i need to say tonight in the ring okay and then we immediately go to another meaningless five-way match where the winner gets an intercontinental title shot at WrestleMania. Somebody's going to say, well, that means it's not meaningless. No, it's when there's just constantly multiple-person matches on this program where they're going to do moves to each other back and forth, and nobody's going to remember it the next day. That's meaningless. Drew McIntyre versus Karrion Cross versus Xavier Woods versus L.A. Knight, poor L.A., versus Seamus. And the whole thing is to get Seamus and Drew in a, at cross purposes so they can have their elimination match next week to determine who's going to face Gunther. And I got to be honest with you, I think I'm probably looking forward to Gunther and Seamus a little bit more, but I think it'll be Gunther and Drew. They were piping in. Because the fans were standing up, and I was hearing this, and I was watching their lips. They were piping in triple threat, triple threat, <laughs> but no one was saying it. So that, tells you, I, that tells you where the gambling uh, bookers or bookies, whatever you want to call them at this point, considering what's and, happening and with if their they heads piped are. It, if they piped it in, they, they didn't announce it. Well, maybe it's, that's, I don't know. Maybe that's what it's going to be at WrestleMania, so they'll kill my anticipation for Gunther's match. Anyway, it was 11 minutes into this program before the bell rang, and then it looked like half a battle royal, and the story is Drew and Seamus, will they fight? And they went a minute to the break. And they came back, and they did about another five minutes, and Imperium came out to watch, and they went to the break. And they came back, 
And they went another four minutes or so, and basically, I figured at least maybe poor L.A. Knight won't be the fall guy in this one. And son of a gun, wouldn't you know who won the pony? They had to, they had to beat two people at the same time just so they could make sure to beat L.A. Knight. So Drew and Seamus both hit kicks on Woods and L.A. and pinned both of them, even though Seamus's missed Woods by at least a foot. And then they both pinned him at the same time and had a log argument about who should be the win, the winner of the thing because both of them won and who should go on to WrestleMania. Yeah. Did I miss anything with that recap? Just the piped-in sound. At least I thought it was piped-in. Someone else could tell me I'm wrong, but the piped-in triple threat. Which, took away, so. which, like you just said, took away my hopes for a good Gunther match at WrestleMania. Yeah. I think somebody's on the pipe whoever's writing this. So then Paulie was in the back with one of the girl interviewers and he does a promo about Cody who's gotten involved in bloodline business. And again, a great promo put Cody over in his inimitable and unique backhanded way. But he made, you know, they're going to smash Cody with the truth, the emotional baggage. He'll be a defeated opponent before he gets in the ring. And I think they just interspersed Paul throughout the show. So people have hope. <laughs> keep them listening for another few minutes because uh, drew and seamus were in the back still screaming at each other and then the judgment day and the lucha suits and ray mysterio were still mad at each other and they did a long in-ring promo where they did the standard wwe dramatic scripting and then that follows into the match the lucha suits against the judgment day and then Dominic tried to get Ray to fight him again, and Ray wouldn't. And this took a very long time, and it seems like we've seen it all before. Have you seen this before, Brian? Well, they're stretching it out until we get to WrestleMania. Do you want... Do you believe Dominic versus Ray, or is that the one thing that maybe is the thing I don't believe about Dominic? That he's just a heat-getting little juvenile delinquent and, and you know, is getting thrill-fucked by Rhea Ripley. I can believe all of that, but I don't believe when he's he and his father are talking mean about each other. And I don't think anyone wants to necessarily... Well, I shouldn't say that. I don't want to necessarily see that match. No one comes out of it looking better. Dominic can't. Ray can't. Nobody comes out of that looking better. Well, let's see if we can come out of this next one looking better. Did you watch the Vikings versus Brown Strongman and Ricochet? Not really, no. Well, almost nobody else did either because they started the match, went a minute and went to the break and come back and did a little bit more. And then Brown missed the choo-choo. He ran around the ring and body blocked or shoulder tackled one of the Vikings and then ran to the other side of the ring and was going <laughs> to tackle the other one and... Valhalla, the manager, pulled that Viking out of the way and Brown went straight over the fucking desk and was never seen again. Even though he just, he took his own bump, he just ran himself over the desk, he landed on the other side of it and was never seen again. I think they were close enough to the Florida coast that he landed in the Bermuda Triangle and disappeared. Yet another train derailment. Another another train derailment. What's Pete Buttigieg going to do about this one? 
So anyway, um, and then the Vikings splashed Ricochet and one, two, three, and that was over. And uh, Gunther told Adam Pierce that he's doing a shitty job. He was supposed to pick a challenger, not challengers. And Adam Pierce has lost all of his authority, and he should immediately go out back and be put to sleep like an old mule. Well, Gunther approximately said that. But Pierce had the solution. Next week, Drew versus Seamus, and the winner challenges Gunther at WrestleMania. Okay. All righty. Then Charlotte and Shotzi. Now, Brian, we have avoided watching Shotzi in the past from the day she was in NXT because she would come out in a tank with a helmet, fire off a cannon. It was a toy tank in NXT. Remember the time she ran over the bad heel manager they had down there and he acted like he got his legs stuck under the tank and couldn't get out? Oh, yeah, what happened to that guy, Robert Stone? Well, he got stoned and... We saw him get run over like two or three times, I think. <laughs> he was he was a glutton for getting run over. And then she got a big tank when she moved up to the main roster. But uh, the gimmick is just all over the place and the screaming and the howling with the helmet and the tank and the multicolored hair and the it's just all over the place. But a lot of people have been blistering her because she has a lot of botches in her matches. We don't normally watch Bocce Shotzi to begin with, so I said she's wrestling Charlotte. I'll watch this, right? Because with Charlotte, how bad can it be? Well, I got my answer. Charlotte was trying hard, in my professional opinion, not even trying to bully anyone off Twitter or cause anyone to be harassed. So yeah, Brian Alvarez, you little fucking jock swinger. Um, you say our fans like to parrot what I say. Well, next time you're blowing the head cockatoo, let me know how that tastes. But anyway, here's my professional opinion. She's a bit awkward. She's a step off or a little herky jerky in most everything she does because she's trying to do a lot of complicated shit that's too complicated for her instead of less complicated shit that she might be able to pull off. And Charlotte's trying to be there for it, but it's hard when when you can't get in a rhythm with an opponent because you can't figure out, because they have no rhythm. And, you know, normally if you see a guy draw back and you've worked with him just once, you know the pace and angle in which the punch or the kick or whatever's coming, you can time it even if you don't feel it. That's the optimum thing. Don't feel it, but sell it. It won't look bad because you've got the flow, right? I don't think this girl has a flow. She was doing, she was half step off or one step behind or just a little slow in swinging something and it just didn't come together. And they went about two minutes. And then music started playing, and Rhea Ripley came out, and the match continued. Charlotte gave Shotzi a German suplex, and Michael Cole said, SmackDown rolls on! And they go to the break. And when they come back, Shotzi gives Charlotte a Hurricane Rana off the top rope. Now, I know that Charlotte has probably taken numerous Hurricane Ranas off the top rope, 
but she it was one of those clump clump bumps. I don't know whether they were off time on that or whatever, but the clump clump instead of the bam, the clump clumps are the ones that hurt because that'll jar your fucking ass. So she gives her that and then nothing else. She goes to charge and misses going through the ropes and Charlotte kicks her off the apron and goes to the floor after her and Shotzi throws a kick toward Charlotte's head that Charlotte sees coming and tries to sell, but she didn't realize that Shotzi was throwing the kick from underneath was going to go up over her head and then back down. <laughs> and she fucking whiffed her from like a foot and a half away. Charlotte sold it. This is fucking horrible. And I fast forwarded to the finish, which was a figure eight. And finally, Charlotte and Rhea get in the ring face to face. And again, looking forward to the match at WrestleMania. But now this is an example of they're not giving these girls the chance to sit down and go, okay, here's what I ought to say about you. Here's what you ought to say about me. Here's what blah, 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 and work it out and be real because they can both talk, but this was the standard WWE scripted stuff that they had to deliver to each other back and forth while they were standing at that awkward two-third turn each to the camera instead of facing each other and intimidating each other. There was no emotion here. There was no intimidation. There was no aggression. They were concentrating on delivering the material that they were handed. And Charlotte said, I'll outwork anyone except Christian. You know how well that worked out for him. So there was no heat, no emotion, no oomph in the promo because they were being told what to say. It was obvious. I mean, nobody, if they're both in the wrestling business, neither one of them would have come up with that shit to fucking say to each other. Would they? No, it was bad. It was unnecessarily bad. I don't like Charlotte as a babyface. Maybe they feel they have to script her to make her a babyface. Uh, overly script her to make her a, a babyface. I don't know, but I agree with you about the match, and I agree with you about the promo. Well, and that was our main event wrestling match, folks. That's right. We had a, a five-way, a six-man tag, the Vikings in a tag match, and Charlotte and Shotzi. And that was the program for wrestling because the main event on SmackDown is always the interview segment. And in this instance, the interview segment did not deliver as a main event, but the goddamn afterbirth did. The Usos come to the ring. And the question on everybody's mind, the burning question is, why, Jay? Why? Why? And Jay beat around the bush for a little while. He was trying to get his feelings out. But the story was, what would you do? This is family. He's my blood, my twin. I blame Sammy for all this. All he had to do was fall in line. But he didn't. We fixed him. But now our problem is Cody Rhodes. And the reason why I think that they were running long is because they hadn't even finished Cody Rhodes' last name and his music hit. Here's the thing. he They only had four, maybe three minutes left on the air. And as soon as they mentioned Cody's name, they didn't get the roads out, I said. And, and the music starts. And he comes down the aisle and stops about halfway and says, hey, instead of talking about me, why don't you talk to me? To my The fans don't want to see us talk. They want to see us fight. This is a common 
offer here lately. And as soon as he starts taking off his jacket and tie, Sammy hits the ring from behind. And he goes to town on the Usos, and then Cody hits and joins. And for the next 90 seconds to two minutes, it was the best part of the program. They had a fight. They went all over ringside, out in the people, blah, blah, blah. The people were into it. The action was exciting. There was shit going on. And finally, the Usos powder, and Cody raises Sammy's hand. And that's... As we mentioned, they're not booing Cody. There's been no backlash whatsoever the way they've handled this. They're cheering Sammy, they're cheering Owens, and they're cheering Cody. Now we've seen Cody and Sammy stand side by side. The outlier is Owens, but we still got a few weeks. So they still have four people on the bloodline side. Yes. So, and, but that's, you know, that's what this thing is coming together. Fantastic. But that's what people are interested in. And, but it, it does take the star power down when you don't have Paul and you don't have Roman and you've just got the Usos even together in the ring. But they, they, the people listen to this because it was part of the story and to see Cody and Sammy and then did you see what at 30 seconds before they went off the air, Cody ran and grabbed Sammy's arm and raised it up for the people. He was the one to say, hey, cheer Sammy. Smart. Very smart because it'd been, been the other way around. A lot of people said, oh, see, they're telling Sammy to try to make a suck up to Cody. The other way around, they, you know. Yeah, because again, Roman's not there. So this is all about these guys just did this stuff to Sammy. Cody recognized that. It's all about Sammy yeah. still. Yeah. So anyway, that, uh, you know, it's two hours of television to keep up with the live interviews that you care about. It'd be amazing if they actually, I don't know, had matches that were made important and talent that didn't seem all interchangeable and just another cog in the wheel, just another prawn in the game, as people say. You've heard that, that saying, haven't you? I have, yes. A prawn in the game. A prawn cocktail. All right. Well, that was SmackDown. They smacked it, and down it went. And the whole show is just forgettable nonsense. The same people, the same stuff, the same words. And then you get, like you said, two minutes, three minutes. Doesn't make it all worth it, but it's the most intriguing stuff in all of <laughs> wrestling. And again, I continue to be baffled at... Nobody can get anywhere near the middle where something might. The AEW fans have proven that they will like a wrestling match that makes sense when they see Danielson and MJF or Punk stuff or the FTR Briscoes matches. They love that stuff. They go crazy for it. It doesn't all have to be the, you know, the fucking lollipop guild and the clownery and buffoonery. And the WWE fans, they love the stars. It's just that they don't even love the matches the stars have. They just want to see the entrances and the promos and the gaga rather than the matches. That's the way that the WWE has trained their fans. But if they're into the stars, they'd be into their matches if they were made more important and allowed to breathe and develop. But you've got two extremes. And 
one is completely so professional that it's sterilized, and one is so completely unprofessional that it's goddamn laughable. I don't know. Is this my program? It certainly is. Well, it's fucking done. Thank you, everybody. Come back for Brian's program, which will be in a few days and hopefully shorter. And I'll be back next week. And who knows whether I'll be shorter or longer. It all depends on you and my fluffer. What? Thank you. Fuck you. Bye-bye, everybody. Wednesday nights I get to stay up late Which Kenny Omega while I masturbate Hey mom, I need to watch the show Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Meltzer says I'm in the key demo Watch Kenny Omega while I 